It's Behind the Bots time! From the Norwalk Havoc Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Kyle. And I'm Luke. And today on the podcast, our interview with Ice Wave Captain Mark DeVitz. Chris and Lindsay are off for the next couple of weeks for their honeymoon and a trip to BattleBots. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. And hey, if you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and uh, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have six news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this week in Dublin, Ireland. Robo Riots returns to Dublin's National Basketball Arena this Saturday and Sunday with some of the most recognizable heavyweights from Robot Wars, like Stinger, Ripper, Shunt, and Deator. Tickets start at €20 each. Check out details on roboriots.ie. Speaking of tickets, BattleBots this week opened up ticket sales for the so-called High Five Club for people who want to sit near the entrance tunnel and high-five the teams as they're walking into the battle box. Tickets for the High Five Club cost just $15 each because they get a partially obstructed view of the battle box. Check out details on battlebots.com slash tickets. On over to the internet, where BattleBots just passed a major milestone, racking up 1 million subscribers on YouTube. As a reward, YouTube sent BattleBots its own golden YouTube play button. BattleBots' oldest video dates back to September 2010 with episode one of the BattleBots Collegiate Championship. Its most viewed video to date, though, weirdly enough, is a basement fight that has no fight commentary, a season two exhibition rumble between (laughs) Scorpios, Deathroll, and Bucktooth Burl. The internet is so strange, Kyle. Of all of the amazing BattleBots content out there, for all of the Minotaur fights, for all the Blacksmith fights... All of the, the the roofings, all of the like incredible hits. It is this like strange, no commentary, basically dead robots like going around and just knocking into one another. It is the internet is so so weird, Kyle. This is before any of these bots were like good. You know what I mean? Like right. Death Roll became right. an amazing competitor. Scorpios is like legendary now. Bucktooth Bro converted into an amazing competitor. Like, but at that time they were all C list. C-list players. <laughs> like, they were not right. good. <laughs> right. Death Roll with that long, like, snaking tail. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Strange. Very strange. Anyway, congratulations, BattleBots, on uh, 1 million subscribers. That's very cool. It's officially the most wonderful time of the year for BattleBots fans. It is visual list time. Every year, BattleBots mega fan Sterling Brown, who runs the excellent YouTube show The Combat Collective, scours the internet for public confirmation of who's in for the next season of BattleBots. This week, he published his first pass at the visual list, which, as of Sunday night, has 37 robots confirmed out of a total roster of 50 robots. I want to call out some of the rookies on the visual list, uh, some of whom announced this week, and others... Listen, uh, just total transparency. I frankly missed, because Sterling is just a better journalist than I am. So, uh, <laughs> Sterling, great job. Um Let's start with four rookie bots that you've already seen at Norwalk Havoc before. 
Ripperoni, Starchild, Horizon, Banshee, and Emulsifier. I cannot count. That is actually five robots. Um, <laughs> Ripperoni and, uh, and Starchild are being run by the brand new East Coast Super Team Omega, which was formed out of the rosters of teams P1 and Valkyrie. Ripperoni is a gorgeous, punishing, pizza-themed vertical disc spinner, while Starchild is a big-wheeled thwackbot with a very fast spinner on a long arm. Horizon is a bot that appeared at Norwalk Havoc as Dusk and Skyline, an experimental long bot with horizontal spinners at the ends of its arms that pivot around a dead center shaft. Very interesting concept. Banshee is a new flipper bot being run by former Malice team member David Smalls, who's found a lot of success with his beetleweight flipper Kelpie, and Emulsifier, the brutal vertical disc spinner on tank treads being fielded by Team Bots FC. Kyle, I want to pause here. We have two other robots, but uh, but for, for these five here, Ripperoni, Starchild, Horizon, Banshee, and Emulsifier, they're all incredible. If you had to pick one, who do you think is going to go deepest in the field out, out of these five? Uh, I mean, the clear answer from this one is Emulsifier, just because it's a super yeah. proven design um, from a team that has amazing quality control on their builds, um, has just such... I think like the idea of the boys behind Shatter building something that has high kinetic energy is going to be amazing. They already have arguably the most damaging hammer in the game, especially like a hammer that can just go and go and go. Um, so yes, I, I think everybody kind of wants to see this, and that's just a surefire bet if you want deep in the tournament. As far as who's going to have the most entertaining fights, just based on our experiences at Norwalk Havoc, the only one of these bots that is truly like originated at Norwalk Havoc um, and not at another tournament is Starchild. I mean, that thing mm. in the the three pound and thirty pound division is so much fun to watch. When it gets hits, it is just miraculous, and it does such amazing damage in these tight little controlled areas on the bot. It's so cool. I can't wait to see it. Um, but yeah, Emulsifier is going to be the one that goes the deepest for sure. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you. Emulsifier is the just just the build quality on Emulsifier. I am anticipating is going to be fantastic yeah. um if if their 30 pound build quality is any any indication um you know like i'm concerned about the ground game of course but you know like these these kind of emulsifier cronus kind of disco like um you know uh type type robots where they're getting you up and then hitting you with this this big center center disc i think they are really interesting counter to the traditional kind of forky four wheel drive vertical spinners. Um, so yeah, I'm really stoked about emulsifier. Also, kind of interested in the tank treads. You know, love love to see kind of an old school design make make a comeback. Yeah. Um, you know, with Starchild, I would say I am a 100% Starchild child believer at the Beetleweights. I haven't seen Starchild do amazingly yet at the the 30s and. No. I'm really curious to see how it does at at 250. Um, you know, some of the the benefits that they have going for them is that 250s move relatively slower, so they could probably land a lot bigger hits. Um, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be fun. But I think a lot of people who bring 250s have already built a counter for a huge, and I think it's difficult to jump into a sport with a big wheeled spinner with you know 30 40 percent of the field with a counter for your kind of biggest design um 
aspect. So, um, yeah, I am, I am cautious, cautiously optimistic about Star Child. Love the robot, of course. Um, and can't wait to see it, uh, at, at BattleBots. Yeah. It depends on how they book them for sure. You know, if they throw them in there, uh, with a bunch of horizontals, obviously it's not going to be very entertaining, but if they throw them in there against those four wheel drive verts, it could be, there could be some really fun fights. There could be some really fun fights to watch. I don't have a lot of confidence that BattleBots is not going to give Starchild the huge treatment, which is like huge is an incredible robot and BattleBots continues to deliberately, I feel deliberately, I don't know. This is my tinfoil hat time. Uh, They, okay. Whether it's deliberate or not, they somehow put huge up against its counter just because it wants to see huge split apart. It wants to see the spectacle. It wants to see huge get roofed, you know, and like poor huge, you know, like that robot gets maligned by the fans because it is just, I don't know, like it's, it's getting a lot of bad draws. And I'm curious if Star Child's going to kind of get the same. I would love to see a huge Star Child fight. That would be so entertaining, you know? Um, yeah. I, the Star Child team seems to be ex- anticipating that as well. Yeah. Yeah. They, they want that. By the way, another fun fact about Star Child is their wheel diameter is about four inches uh, larger than Huge's. Uh, which means it's huger mm. than huge. <laughs> good, good, very good. All right, well, uh, meanwhile, we also got our first look at bots Doom and Doomba, which both appear to be separately inspired by the eponymous video game series Doom. Doom appears to be a hammer saw with sloped armor, while Doomba is a combination flamethrower, chainsaw, and undercutter, opting for fun over function. I love Doomba. And can't wait to see it fight. Have questions about Doom. Kyle, your thoughts on these uh, two video game kind of inspired robots? Uh, I don't... Is Doomba inspired by the video game Doom? Um, I mean, uh, on Doom, don't don't you don't you have like the chainsaw? You're kind of coming in, you're chainsawing people apart. You know, you probably have some kind of... Some kind of melee weapon that's kind of like an undercutter. They definitely have some kind of flamethrower, right? I mean, it's sure. been it's been... Admittedly, you know, 30 years since I've played the game, but uh, I've yes. got to imagine, you know. I'm pretty sure the Doomba is just a play on the Roomba. Um, their application video is literally a Roomba <laughs> building its body to combat uh, other robots and putting the articulating chainsaw on it and everything else. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, uh, uh, Doomba is from the same people that kind of contributed to um, to uh, Battle Royale with Cheese and uh, Mammoth. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it is, it is got that, the kind of the silly side of BattleBots DNA in its veins. Um, I believe the weapon disc on it, unless they change it for the application video, it was literally one of Smee's weapon discs, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. The armor is all UHMW and googly eyes, um, which is the best kind of armor ever. I want Doomba to uh, be in a lot of fights and do really, really well uh, from an entertainment perspective. I'm not looking at them to win. I don't think they're building this to win. I think when we had Greg on and he was talking about another Rusty-type robot, he might have been talking about Doomba. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like fan favorite, really fun, highly entertaining, not super competitive, but like everyone's going to love it. Everyone's going to love this thing. You're just going to fall in love with it the instant you see it. The googly eyes are too delicious not to love. 
Um, as far as Doom goes, yeah. Um, Stop building sloped wedge hammers. They don't work. Yeah, I just feel like it's trying too hard. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like it's trying too hard uh, from a from a design perspective, from a theme perspective, from a like weapon perspective. Like the first time you're coming in here, you're gonna throw a hammer saw around. Okay, that's you know, like that's an interesting choice. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's trying too hard. This is all you know. I don't know really anything about the team. I just know that that's that's a lot. That's a lot. When you've got a sloped wedge that goes around your entire bot like a skirt, uh, you don't want to give your opponents an easier ramp up to the side of your weapon where uh, you can definitely <laughs> not hit them. Could you imagine somebody coming up the side of Doom and just like smacking that uh, that hammer uh, assembly right in the middle? Like, uh, it's not good. Don't do that. Like, yeah, heaven uh, forbid you get a Triton just riding up the side of your wedge into right, that arm. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Right, right. I mean, hammers already, like, they need to have a ton of speed to do anything. You know, like, they are very much a pin and then uh, pummel kind of uh, strategy and uh, to to steal from, uh, from the Casey's. But... Um, you know, that, that requires like a big, chonky, shovey wedge to get you up against a, a a rail or a hazard and then just a super fast weapon, you know. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I look at Doom, but I don't see either of those things. But then again, I mean, I've only seen a render, so who knows? Maybe it's incredible. I'm not going to go like eating stickers for it or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. How much are they going to uh, have to change the logo once they actually make it onto BattleBots? Because they can't use, they cannot use that logo. There's just go no with way. Comic Sans for both of them, you know. <laughs> just comic, just like, just look like like, like kindergarten <laughs> handwriting. You know what I mean? <laughs> I fully support this idea. Actually, I think it's a great idea. Yes. All right. I am on board with Doom now. Yeah. So Doom is like, uh, what is the best way of describing it? It's like Beta or Beta if uh, it had a hammer saw in shape. Yeah, I kind of see some Ragnarok DNA in there too. You know, in terms of like the sloped, sloped, oh, yeah, uh, sloped yeah, yeah. front wedge. You know, um, and very exposed, uh, like articulation, like like hinge point. Right. Yeah. Right. Hide yeah, that. Hide that inside of the robot. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's good. Okay. Uh, speaking of Rusty and uh, lovable fan favorites, the team behind Rusty published a cryptic photo on social media this week showing what appeared to be Rusty Jr. perched atop rocks overlooking a pond with the caption, quote, a fitting resting place. Rusty Jr. was a brand new version of Rusty that was supposed to fight at season six of BattleBots, but was apparently pulled at the last moment after it couldn't make weight with the original Rusty taking its place. Interestingly enough, and I love this fact, Rusty Jr., although it never fought on BattleBots, was immortalized by Hexbugs, which made it one of this year's Hexbug rivals. And finally, an update to a story we brought you last week. Copperhead team member Chad New set a new Colorado State record this past Saturday, growing a giant pumpkin that weighed in at a staggering, incredible, amazing, uh, breathtaking 1,783 pounds, 
That is nearly 100 pounds heavier than the previous Colorado State record set back in 2016. The winning pumpkin is up for sale. In case you'd like to own it, check out details on coloradopumpkins.com. And that's it for this week's news. Wait, before we go on, should we uh, mention that Dave Eaton is getting orders from Send, Cut, Send In and like obviously working on something? Oh, Kyle, let's keep this in. Lindsay, don't cut this. All right. Uh, I, I didn't see this. Is is this recent? Yeah. He's I haven't been, been on the internet today. Uh, it's not today. He's been posting it like nonstop just on his regular Facebook page. Maybe he's building something for a different competition, Kyle. Who knows? I, I, I don't think so. Just based on the comments that I've seen on there. We we are BattleBot supporters, and I know that BattleBots sent out a, li- a partial list of the 50 bots on the roster. I don't recall whether Rusty's on. Oh, my gosh. I'm now I'm now violating the core tenets of the BattleBot supports. Um, if you'd like to see this for yourself, go to Facebook. Become a BattleBot supporter on Facebook. Because um, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm not sure if, if I saw Rusty or not. Um, I don't think that Rusty was on Sterling Brown's visual list. So... I don't know. Uh, no, that's a good question. I don't think he was. So, so yeah. I mean, listen. Sterling is the source of truth on this kind of stuff. It, he he finds the most obscure comments on like you know strange forums, you know <laughs> that uh, you know from, from the builders that that say that that they are they're, they are they're accepted. So maybe maybe he's just posting photos of Senka Sen stuff. Uh, I don't know. Um, so yeah, and se- uh, so on September twelfth, he posts, "Okay, I've got Sour Patch Kids, the Fuel of Champions," and then it's a whole palette of send cut send stuff. And when you see some of them open, this is definitely heavyweight size. Hmm. And uh, he says, "Hashtag send cut send, hashtag Rusty, hashtag Team Iron Force," and then it's the a picture uh, from Lord of the Rings that just says, "So it begins." Interesting. All right. So I I don't I mean there is absolutely no confirmation that Rusty is in. Um but this was 3 weeks ago and you have Jeff Water saying you're just starting now. You have other people saying you just got this. Hmm. Um so yeah. All right. Well, I I will I will say Dave Eaton, uh Rusty Jr. maybe maybe he's found a fitting resting place. Um hopefully you're in obviously. Hopefully you're in for season 7. And uh, get online and confirm so Sterling can see it, okay? Yeah, I mean, that's what we all want to see because right now it's speculative. Right. Um, right now it is speculative. Yeah, he's even getting like big titanium uh, rods in uh, like uh, in the middle of August. So he's building something over there. Exciting, exciting. All right, after the break, our interview with Mark DeVitz. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Ice Wave Captain Mark DeVitz. Mark has been building and fighting heavyweight combat robots since the early 2000s and roared into instant BattleBots fandom on season one of the reboot with Ice Wave, a terrifying horizontal spinner powered by a gas-powered engine. Sadly, Ice Wave was not selected to compete on BattleBot 7, surprising a lot of fans. We're catching up with Mark to learn about his past and his future in the sport, so welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Luke, how's it going? 
It's going really well. I am like so excited to talk to you. Uh, Ice Wave has been on my list of uh, robots that I would that I've been waiting to interview. Um, I love Ice Wave. I know a lot of fans love Ice Wave, and I was shocked when I learned that Ice Wave uh, is not going to be appearing on on season seven. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, also just interested in talking to you. You're you're really. Uh, prolific builder, a longtime builder. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I think that uh, this, this has been, this has been something that I've been looking forward to a long time. So, uh, so, so thanks so much. Thanks, um, thanks for having me. I, I love the show too. Oh, good. For a while. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I would love to, to start maybe with how you got started in combat robotics. I'd love to hear your origin story. When did you, uh, maybe you can take us back to like when you first learned about combat robotics and then what was the leap into building your first combat robot? Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, like many people from that era, I saw it on TV on comedy central and, um, you know, the weird, weird place to have, have a show on comedy central, like after South park or before South park, which I didn't watch. I wasn't a South park fan, but somehow robots were right next to it. And, uh, I got into that and, um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Like I was always taking things apart and um, my mom, you know, just like sort of, I was driving her crazy, just like building things into my walls in my house and taking TVs and VCRs apart and stuff like that. VCRs for those young kids out there are uh, things that used to play video before streaming. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, so, yeah, I was, I was just always, you know, kind of tinkering with stuff and building computers and things like that. And when I saw a show on TV, I, I loved all those shows like Junkyard Wars and, um, I don't think Myth, Mythbusters was around yet, but I would have loved that if that was around. Um, you know, that kind of stuff where people were building things like This Old House, Bob Vila, like all that stuff. I love those shows. But Comedy Central showing BattleBots was like, whoa, this was like a game changer. And uh, when I saw it, I was like, I got to figure out how to do this, whatever it takes. What people don't maybe don't realize, like the young kids these days don't realize, is like the internet was barely a thing back then, it feels like. Maybe it was, you know, for some people more than me, but... I don't, I don't think I was using dial up at that point, but like, you know, it felt like that era and, uh, you know, people didn't have like blogs, blog was not a word yet. And YouTube certainly was not a thing for another couple of years. So, uh, it was really hard to find info about it, but, um, yeah, like the people that were, that were on the show had, you know, put together like a GeoCities website or like, you know, their own little, uh, you know, sort of pre-blog type of thing, uh, you know, where they they built, they, they posted a build report, which was incredible because it was all about the parts they were using and, um, you know, their experience at the events and all kind of event reports and things like that. And um, those guys were like, uh, you know, Jim Spintowski, obviously robotcombat.com was a big one with all his build reports and stuff. Um, this was before Robot Marketplace even existed. And, um, you know, uh, Christian Carlberg and a Cool Robots C2, uh, you know, website was was awesome, chock full of information. One of my um, idols was uh, Derek Young. I told him this later. I loved his uh, his um, things that were not BattleBots, uh, like his cars that he was working on. He made like a semi-autonomous transmission for a car. Uh, that was really cool. It was like paddle shifting that he put into like a 1970s Datsun. And uh, I was just like in awe of how he did that, you know, and how, how one person could build a system that was not just like a computer program, but it actually did things in real life. And it, uh, you know, it was a device that he created and that was really cool. So 
I was, you know, kind of into programming at that point, but uh, never had gotten into physically building things uh, with my own, you know, firmware or code running on them. Like Arduino didn't exist back then. So, uh, yeah, I remember going to to, uh, to season five. So season five was, well, we can get into that, but season five was my first event. And I talked to Derek there and uh, just picking his brain. He's like, I said, how do you get into this stuff? And he's like, I don't, man, you just, just do it. <laughs> So I was like, okay, but, uh, the, uh, the way I got into BattleBots, uh, was like reaching out to, um, I think I reached out to Christian Carlberg first, probably, uh, cause he had his email just like listed on his website. And, uh, he said, you know who you got to reach out to, um, was Rich Reed over at NPC, uh, NPC robotics. I don't even think was a thing yet. It was just national power chair. They were building wheelchair motors for, uh, scooters for wheelchairs. and um, they were sort of retrofitting them to work better for BattleBots, and a lot of people were using them. Christian was one of them. A lot, I mean, I would say probably fifty percent of the teams at BattleBots had these NPC motors, and so I called up Rich, and uh, obviously he wanted to sell me motors, but he was super helpful. He just sat there for like two hours on the phone and talked to me about speed controllers and motors and you know mounting and, and welding and just all kind of the you know things that that I just had no idea because I was I was probably. 16 or 15 at the time, you know, I was in high school and, and just totally, I had a drill press maybe outside, you know, like a tabletop drill press and that's all I had. So, um, that was huge. Rich, Rich was like the, the main instigator there to getting me into it. And of course I bought NPC motors after that. And, uh, I begged my mom, you know, the mo- motors weren't cheap. It was like, uh, two, $200, $300 for a motor and a gearbox at that point, but they were beasts you know they were big heavy motors at that at that point and they were awesome so that's kind of what got me into it yeah your first robot that you competed with was that edge or did you build robots before edge oh actually um yeah i built a robot called undertow mm-hmm. <laughs> so when i uh when i was reaching out to rich and and i bought those motors i sort of just built a platform that was like a um it was basically four NPC motors with like big, you know, inflatable tires, uh, Harbor Freight tires or whatever. And it was just driving it around. And, and that's actually, you can see a lot of that on the, uh, or a piece of that on the, that, um, the reboot first episode where they did a little highlight reel of us. That was me when I was like 16 driving that little chassis around in my mom's driveway, uh, with those four NPC motors. And that's, that was, uh, I think that robot basically was, Undertow is what I called it. And it competed at a, so what, what happened was I was, um, I saw it on TV around like season two or three. And I said, I want to do, I think I said, I want to do season three, but, um, it was right after, uh, September 11th had just happened. And, uh, this was like 2000, 2001. Right. And, uh, so November of 2001 was season three. And my mom was like, there's no way you're getting on airplane and flying to San Francisco. Uh, I was living in New Orleans at the time. And she's like, yeah, you're not going to go by yourself to this strange place with all these people that you don't know. And I was like, I know them all from the internet. <laughs> but uh, they were, you know, it was it was like, I'm not going to fly right after September 11th, which was probably a good call on her part. But uh, yeah, and then for whatever reason, I missed season four and I was still building something. And I finally got to do season uh, season five. And that's, uh, but that's where I brought the edge, yeah. But before that, so in that like sort of downtime where there wasn't, uh, for me, there wasn't a, a place I could go because of September 11th happening. Um, my some some friends on this uh, Delphi forum were like, 
you know, hey, let's start our own event that, so that we don't have to go to um, out to California to do this. We can do a southeastern event, and that ended up being uh, called Southeastern Combat Robotics (SECR). And I was just like uh, four or five guys. I kind of wasn't one of the original, but I came in like the second meeting because I discovered it like right around that same time. And um, it was uh, one guy, Chris McVeigh, uh, said he has a farm in Florida with a slab in the back of his house. And he's going to uh, host an event there with whoever wants to come. And we're going to build a uh, like a two by four structure wall with just one wall <laughs> and have a sheet of Lexan. I think it was two sheets of quarter inch Lexan with an air gap between them up on this wall uh, made of two by fours. And uh, we'll just all stand behind this wall and nobody will go around the other side. <laughs> And we're like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. So I, I uh, drove over to Florida and I met all those guys. And that was um, like, uh, I think that event happened. We, we built the arena at, on like one weekend. I drove home and then a couple weekends later we had the event. And I want to say it was like, you know, 60 or 70 robots showed up. It was all like, um, I think it was middle weights, 120 pounders and below. So this was back in the era of like all the different weight classes being, you know, at battle bots. So it was all these battle bots, competitors that had all these other weight classes that had come to our event. Uh, and it was really cool. One of the, uh, one of the, I remember the two, the two kind of like ones that stood out as like, these are in another league were um, little drummer boy, which was uh, Steve Fisher. And uh, he was like, just took, he took, I think like season four by storm at BattleBots, you know, with, with a drum. It was like the first time anybody ever seen a drum. <laughs> and it was just completely wrecking everybody. And so he brought that and everybody was scared of that. And uh, the other one that came was Mobius back when uh, Buzz, Buzz Dawson built the original Mobius, I think for season three or season four, maybe something like that. And he had brought it to, so this was January of 2002. This was before season five took place. Uh, mm -hmm. So this was farm fight 2002 in Alachua, Florida. And so I remember this, those robots were pretty scary. Uh, like, okay, we got to upgrade the arena at this point, you know, but uh, nobody, nobody got hurt. It was good. We didn't know any better at that time, you know, hmm. but uh, yeah. And then right after that, it was, um, so right, right around that same time, BattleBots was huge. I mean, people, I don't know if people remember, but uh, BattleBots had 600 robots show up to each event and they were doing two events a year. It was massive. And you, you, you were lucky if you got on TV and you showed up as a newbie. Uh, you know, so uh, they were riding on the coattails of, of their success. Uh, they start; they wanted to start a um, high school division of BattleBots, sort of like First, because First U.S. First was sort of in the you know early stages as well, and um, they wanted to compete with that and sort of have their high school curriculum. So they started that um, with uh, they actually uh, Trey and Greg hired uh, Nola Garcia to start that. And uh, she was based in Miami and she sort of drummed up a big uh, group of followers in Miami that were, uh, you know, doing events and building robots for, for BattleBots IQ at the time. So BattleBots IQ happened. The first event happened in Orlando in, I want to say, May of April or May of 2002. And that one just happened to be before season five. I really wanted to go to the big BattleBots, but they were doing this IQ thing and they had heard that I was building robot or I saw it at farm fight or something like that. And they said, Hey, do you want to come to IQ? And I said, sure, of course. So, um, that was a hugely fun event. I got second place and that was where I brought the edge. So the, so to answer your question, sorry, long winded conversation. 
uh, I built Undertow for Farm Fight, and that was a four wheel drive NPC brick with with no wedge. It, there was kind of no. Actually, my my um, my inspiration for that was Juggerbot. I don't know if you remember that from like uh, mm. I think it was like Robotica and like all they did all of the events. And uh, I don't know who has that robot anymore. Somebody somebody must have it somewhere. I think uh, Mark Elam has it or something like that, or where they were trying to get it to come down to Texas, I heard. But uh, yeah, it was basically just like a rammer, you know, before uh, before wedges were like really prolific. Even. <laughs> so that was sort of my inspiration. I think they were a heavyweight and I built a middleweight version of that with four wheels. So that was undertow. And then edge, I said, all right, I got to put a wedge on this thing. And um, I think it was like a friend of mine said, you should call it the edge, like the guy from U2, the, the uh, hmm. guitarist. And I didn't know U2 at the time. Now they're like one of my favorite bands ever. <laughs> But uh, there, uh, yeah, I was like the edge. That sounds cool because it's got a sharp edge on the wedge, and it's kind of like wedge. <laughs> so I built the edge, and that was uh, yeah. So I got second place at uh, BattleBots IQ season one in two thousand two, and then I took the same robot to uh, season five, and that was uh, yeah, that was like May of two thousand two. Do you do you remember your first fight? Like, is it burned into your memory, or have you fought so many hundreds of times now that uh, it's it's faded into into uh, into the into I guess the past? Um, you know, do you do you recall what it's like, kind of standing cage side for the first time? Oh sure, yeah. I mean, I, fortunately, like the farm fight was very low key in that yeah. there wasn't much stress. You know, it wasn't like you get up on the stage now and the camera's in your face and stuff like that. So I had a good intro to it, but it's still nerve wracking. I mean, you spend a lot of time building this thing and it's going to get destroyed. But um, you know, the, the field was a little bit different back then. Like I said, you know, those two robots that showed up that really started just obliterating other robots. That wasn't a thing, you know. In in like even you know even in uh, I think like Hazard maybe was destroying robots. And then when Son of Boyachi came along in like season three or whatever that was, and they destroyed Biohazard, it was like game changing. I remember watching that on TV going, wow, they really just completely changed the whole landscape with their, you know, pit crew shirts and their, you know, uniform, you know, everything was just perfect, <laughs> which is funny to say now looking back, because they're such, such good guys and such kind of like ham bones with the whole thing, you know, if you actually meet them in person, but, uh, very serious on TV, you know, and, uh, kind of changed change the game with the way they just destroyed other robots with Son of Waiachi. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So you, you built the Edge, and uh, which was kind of wedge-like. Uh, you also built Vault, I'm seeing here. And around mm-hmm. the same time, you introduced Ice Wave. Um, are those basically like your three kind of major bots, or were you building bots for, for other competitions, um, you know, kind of like local 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 events? Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, you said it at the top of the show, you said I'm a prolific builder. I would not categorize myself that, as that at all. I've been doing it for a long time, but I'm yeah. not prolific by any means. Um, yeah, I've kind of stuck with the, the same designs for a while. But actually, Ice Wave uh, came first. So Edge competed at IQ 1 and 2 or something like that. And then um, I moved into college, and they started a college division right at that same exact time, which was perfect timing. And uh, so I said, I'm going to build something new. I built Ice Wave. And um, yeah, it was... Uh, fun fact, the Ice Wave engine now is basically the same engine as that Ice Wave. So everybody's really? like, oh, you know, this Ice Wave is like, you know, even in 2015, people were like, oh, Ice Wave is so powerful. It really never was. <laughs> it was always just a, the same engine and really the same blade as um, actually a bigger blade. So it's kind of underpowered for what it was. It had the same power, but bigger blade and uh, as, as the original one. And 
but yeah, I was always overpowered back then. So I figured I could get away with it. You know, it was sort of just, that was one of the really, Ice Wave was sort of just terrifying. I had this funny video from Victor Soto, which he loves me bringing up where he's like in the stands at IQ. This is before we had met. And he's like, this is Ice Wave and he's got a 15 horsepower gas engine and a huge ass blade. And he's going to like, <laughs> he just turns, turns and he shows just, I don't know, the fight, I just obliterated somebody. But uh, yeah, it was like, I'm either going to destroy the robot, some other robot or myself. And most of the time it was myself because it was just overpowered and, and poorly built. <laughs> I, I'm so curious about the history of ice engines, you know, like um, at the time. So, I mean, like you've, you've seen all of like, you know, the kind of early robots, like was ice wave the first, you know, ice, ice oh, robot. Certainly not. Yeah. yeah. Like how we all know were they at, at the time. Yeah, I mean, ice robots were still around and still a pretty big deal uh, when I got into it. Because uh, at that time, lithium batteries didn't exist when I first started, basically. I mean, I'm sure they existed in the world, but nobody was using them for battle bots. They were just too cost prohibitive. And um, and certainly brushless motors didn't exist and the speed controllers for them didn't exist. Uh, you heard this sort of like mythical brushless buzzword, but nobody knew how to set it up and, and there was nothing ruggedized enough to use for battle mods. But um, yeah, I mean, so like the, obviously the biggest one, the first one probably was Blendo and, and um, uh, Master, I think probably had a gas engine, right? Uh, Pete Abramson's robots were using gas engine. Actually Christian, uh, so Christian Carlberg says, and I learned this later in life, that Minion used the same ro- same engine as Icewind. I didn't mm. know that until like uh, 10 years ago. Mm. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's um, at, at one incarnation of Minion. I, I know uh, one of them did it and one of them did. So it's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, Minion was a 220-pound robot back in the day. Or, it was, it was, that was a super heavyweight, I think, right? So mm. uh, yeah, but there were certainly a lot of gas engines and people were seeing that as a thing. Like, here's how you get around the you know infinite number of batteries that you would need to run an E-Tech motor or something. Like the big, the big revolution when I was getting started was like the E-Tech motor you know, brushed E-Tech motor and um, battle packs. And those were just NICAD uh, packs with like rings around them that were uh, rings on the top and the bottom of the cells so that the air could flow through them. And they put fans on the front and stuff like that. It was really cool. Steve was awesome. Uh, hopefully he's around if he's listening. Hi, Steve. Mm. <laughs> what are you up to, Steve? I want to know. I want to <laughs> say hi. But um, yeah, it's the battle packs and brushes and, and, uh, and E-Tech, brushed E-Tech motor was like the big deal. Um, so, but those are things were massive, right? You needed a ton of space and a ton of weight for, um, you know, NICAD batteries and, and an E-Tech motor. So it was, um, it was Paul Ventimiglia who I think, you know, he's probably like three years younger than me. So he was in high school probably when, uh, when I was just starting ice wave and he had built right before that, he was competing in NERC events. And I remember I went with him, <laughs> the story is so funny. Every time I, every time we it comes up, me and him just laugh about it, but we went to NERC. Paul is like the biggest procrastinator ever for those who don't know him. Sorry, Paul, I'm outing <laughs> you. And, uh, but well, at least back in the day he was, let's just say that. Uh, now he's all grown up. But um, <laughs> back in the day, he, I mean, he was, he would like wait until the last minute to build stuff. He would show up with a suitcase full of parts and, you know, we, we all had those moments and he shows up to this NERC event and I just flew out there because I wanted to go to a NERC event and I, I just wanted to, you know, just hang out with people and help Paul and stuff like that. So I show up and, 
and I'm sleeping in his hotel room on the other bed in the spare bed. And he dumps out this suitcase full of stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, it's not even built yet. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, wait, uh, we were using like DeWalt motors for, for a uh, drivetrain. And he only had three enough parts to build. Like we had to build the stupid gearbox ourselves. <laughs> Because it was like all the gears had fallen out in the suitcase, and we put it all together. And we're like, we don't even have enough gears to build four motors. Like, what are we going to do? So we he puts three motors in a four wheel drive robot that essentially looks like Ice Wave. You could picture a robot that looks like Ice Wave, and uh, and and we're like, what do we do with this other hole here that <laughs> we're supposed to put a wheel? So we just had like a a box of like band aids from like his first aid kit that we just shoved in there to take up the space so all the stuff wouldn't fall out. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. he was so sleep deprived. We were all sleep deprived. Like we didn't sleep the night before we showed up and like we barely passed safety. I, I say we, I had nothing to do with this, <laughs> but it was like, we showed up with uh, you know, a robot. It's like, there was like a contactor turning on the e-tech motor and it just immediately shorted out and locked up. And so it seized on. And then we were fighting uh, Wayne with like a drum spinner. I forget what the name of the drum, all these guys at Nerk were going to yell at me. Um, Gosh, I forget. So so long ago, but we were playing Wayne, and he was uh, the the blade gets stuck on. We couldn't even start the fight because we couldn't power down the blade. Like after the test spin up, and uh, yeah, it was just it was chaos. Like we had to wait for the battery to drain, and like the E Tech burned out, and there were sparks flying and just parts flying out of the robot and hitting the glass, and it was chaos. But I love that robot. That that conceptually was very cool because Paul had taken what was seeming like impossible to get a blade really low to the ground, like hazard, but get this giant motor in there, this E-Tech motor above the blade. It was such a revolutionary thing. I mean, people have done it with other robots, but never like that. And when I saw that, I was like, that's the thing that I need to get, uh, to, to get this gas engine to fit in the robot that I want to build. And, uh, yeah, it was actually the, uh, so I had the gas engine before even conceptually coming up with ice wave because, it was um, the two sort of big gas engine robots around that era were Chopper and Mad Dog. And those were undercutters in the, I think it was lightweight and middleweight classes built by uh, Adam Baxter and Brian Nevet. And uh, they had sort of joined forces. Brian still had uh, Frisbee, which was Shredderator. And Adam lived in the same town and was building, uh, rest in peace, Adam, good guy, really awesome guy. Lost, lost him way too early. Um, he was building these gas engine robots and uh, these undercutters, and those were awesome. And he said, hey, I've got some extra engines um, that I'm trying to sell to, to make some money here, and you want to buy one? And I said, yes, of course. <laughs> that thing is awesome. That's, that's um, you know, sort of a missing link to, um, that, you know, why, why a lot of people weren't building things with gas engine. It was, it was hard to find the right ones, and he, he had sort of figured it out. So, um so I bought this one engine off of him. And then when I saw it, it sort of all the pieces came together. When I saw Green Wave, uh, that robot was called Green Wave, that one that Paul built. It was actually called Green Wave Squared because it had a square, like full body spinner shell. And, uh, and yeah, so he, uh, so he built Green Wave. And then I said, I want to build Green Wave with an internal combustion engine and ice. So I said, it's going to be called Ice Wave. And uh, that's the, that's the history of Ice Wave. It's wow. not very exciting. <laughs> it's not very exciting unless you're in the sport and you know all the people. And, yeah. And you can laugh about it these days, but uh, everybody's like, it doesn't make any sense. I tell my friends and they're like, you got to <laughs> change the name. It's not good. You got to work on that. <laughs> right. 
Right. There's so many puns that you could do with ice, you know? I know, I know. It's Ice Ice Baby. I just cringe every time they play that. If you're in the audience at BattleBots, you don't get to hear. But right. every time Ice Wave rolls out, they play Ice Ice Baby and everybody groans. Right. And Diana right. and Zach are over there dancing and everybody else is groaning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun, obviously. It's, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I like all of the, you know, things that have come along with it, even though it was never intended to be anything cold or anything yeah. like that. It's still fun. Now, um, so I, I'm really curious about the dark years, the kind of 13 years between um, BattleBots going off the air and coming back. And it, mostly because it's like, you know, there were hundreds of builders in America and most of them stopped building in that time. Mm-hmm. But you and a small handful of other people kept the sport alive by building robots and competing and you know running events and all of that. I'm curious, you know, from you for for yourself personally, like what was it about combat robotics that kept that flame alive for you? Um, where you didn't, you know, drop out in those 13 years and stop stop competing? I think it was that in the rest of my you know childhood, you know, going to school and and friends, I had you know friends in high school and and we would kind of tinker and build things together and you know go to the high school football games and whatever, like normal kid stuff. But that wasn't the thing that excited me. The thing that excited me was building stuff and showing it off on TV and getting people excited about building things uh, by building something really cool. What it was, was, um, you know, when, when you see that you could, as a 17 year old in your mom's garage uh, with really no mentorship, right? There was nobody at my high school that, that knew anything about this stuff. There was a physics teacher who kind of, was trying to be supportive, but he had no backing from the school to, to really offer anything other than his time. And, um, you know, so, so not having, you know, my, my high school was very focused on like college foot, I mean, high school football, like, you know, t- tons of like, you know, let's re- build a whole new gymnasium with a huge budget and um, no money is going to go toward computers or, you know, shop class. There was no shop class, right. There was none of that. So um, it was just what I, it was not what I wanted to do. And uh, when I saw BattleBots, it was like, that's what I want to do. I want to build stuff. And, uh, and then once you get into it and you start talking to the people, uh, you know, it's sort of addicting because they're such good people. Everybody, I mean, I'm sure, you know, everybody that that's involved with this um, is just so willing to help and so willing to share their knowledge and be your friend and, and um, you know, help you with, with it. And, and yeah, it was just sort of addicting at that point to um, sort of find this whole new life of um you know building things and and never uh never having to like deal with like i didn't want to wake up early and go to school i wanted to build robots <laughs> you know so um you know much to my mom's uh chagrin it was just like pulling teeth to get me to like go to sleep and wake up at normal hours and go to school i was late to school every single day getting trouble all the time for that in high school my last year of high school i um I actually, my second to last year of high school, I failed like two classes. I had to take summer school because I was just not going. I was, uh, I was going to so many events. So what happened was, um, like at, at that same time, I think BattleBots was sort of, we didn't know it at the time, but it, it had gone away, you know, it was going away or it was about to go away or it had just gone away. And we wanted to keep this thing rolling. So we had the Southeastern group and, um, I sort of, I liked also running the events cause I liked sort of, um, you know, making it all happen and like pulling this all together and, um, 
you know, being the, being the motivating force to like get all these people together. And, and, uh, that was really my thing. So I was running events for SECR, eventually became the president of SECR for a couple of years or whatever, and did my own event in New Orleans and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, the, uh, but, but also while I was doing that event, I, um, I saw a need at the event. So the, uh, at, at BattleBots, there were 600 robots and it was all managed by like this cool software package that BattleBots was running, which was, um, which was actually the, the TMA, which was, uh, something that BattleBots hired an internal person, a staff member to build. And, um, and so that, that software was like, we need that software for all these events that we're running because it's getting out of control. You know, there's all these people coming from different places and we got to send them paperwork and get their, you know, emergency contact info and like build the brackets and the scheduling and, you know, have people running around with clipboards because there's no Wi-Fi at the event and it's just chaos. Right. So I saw that being a software guy being into programming. I said, this is something I can solve in the spare time to waste even more of my time <laughs> not going to school. So that's when I, um, I built, uh, my own little sort of, you know, uh, event management, uh, thing, which was just for SECR. This was like 2002, uh, for farm fight, you know, it's kind of started and, um, doing the lights and the sound and the brackets and the schedule and all those things. And, uh, and then other people were like, Hey, what is that? I need that. Like it was, uh, I think Steve Brown was running Steel Conflict. Uh, Dave Calkins had maybe just started RoboGames at the time or was doing his own events, you know, uh, out here. There were uh, Battle Beach. Brian Bay was doing Battle Beach in Florida. There was Nurk. There was uh, uh, Rob Masick was doing events. There was a ton of people. Uh, Texas, Swark, Brady, and, and those guys were doing stuff back then. And they were all like, hey, we need some software um, can you make this thing work for us too? And I, that's sort of the, the start of the builder's database, right? It was, um, uh, yeah. One, one of the builders said, Hey, all you got to do is like add this one database field to your software and you'll, and then it'll just work for everybody. And I was like, genius. Why haven't I done that already? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then builder's database started in 2002. And, uh, so that, that was, um, that was sort of the, really the thing that occupied a lot of my time and really, you know, kept me from building, kept me from being that prolific builder. Cause I was just more running the events at the time. You know, I was literally every month I was going to some new event and they were flying me out. And, and at the time I thought it was great. You know, I was getting a free hotel, free flight, and I was getting, getting to see all these cool places. And, uh, you know, I was what, like 18 at the time and, um, you know, getting to meet all these cool people that had similar interests as me building stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, yeah, it was completely overwhelming with the amount of stuff that I did. And um, eventually, you know, did college for a couple of years, but dropped out because it was just like, why am I doing this? This, this is not what I want to do, you know, and it's just not for, it's not for me. It's not for everyone. So, um, but yeah, so Builders Database started as that. And then, so funny enough, um, the TMA software that BattleBots was using was, uh, was actually a college kid as well that they had hired from, uh, from US First back in the day, uh, who was also kind of sort of involved with IQ and, and th that kind of stuff. His name was David and, uh, eventually ended up, uh, starting a company with David. So that's the company I run now. So he and I are co-founders of a, of a robot company. So just, you know, crazy, like that's the kind of networking you build yeah. with battle bots and with, with combat robots, you know, you can start a company and now we've been doing this for 10 years out here in Silicon Valley, raising, you know, raising a couple million dollars, uh, you know, investment and, you know, that kind of thing is you build that network with the people. It's all smart people. Yeah. 
Um, I would love to ask a couple more questions before we get to season one of the reboot. So like yeah. um, Builders DB, it's it's on my list. Um, you know, it, it is the kind of nerve center for, uh, you know, 20 years of combat robotics events. Um, it's like a ticket management system. It's a bracket system. It's like a huge database of just thousands and thousands of combat robots of every weight class. That's, you know, it's incredible. Um I know that a couple months ago you were, you know, talking about possibly shutting it down and then you relaunched it as this absolutely gorgeous website. <laughs> um, like, can you talk about that decision? Like um, what, what's recently happening with, with Builders DB? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Builders Database, it just ran like for what, it, like you said, 20 years with basically nothing. No, I wasn't touching it. You know, it was just, to involve in other things to, to worry about. And I mean, to be fair, like there's not money in it. There's no money to be had in running a site like that. Uh, especially now back in the day, you know, maybe, uh, there was a little bit of money or at least free, free tickets for coming out to the events and stuff like that, but certainly not, not today. Things that the landscape has changed. And, and I didn't want to charge people money because people are doing ant weight events now. You know, it's like kids, you know, building ant weights for their first time coming to these things. It's like, no, that there shouldn't, I shouldn't be trying to scrape some money off of, you know, these events or these robot builders or whatever. But so eventually I basically made the thing free and, um, you know, it was going for a while. There was a bunch of problems with it. I mean, it was just the, the technology it was built on was so old and so poorly done because it was really my first project ever when I was 17 and um, just kind of limping along, limping along. And it was down for like six months and then back up. And, you know, I was like, just, uh, I know, uh, so Rob, Rob came up with robot combat events because there was just a bunch of downtime where builders database wasn't working and that sort of took over. And it was like, um, you know, this, uh, there, there, there needs to be something that works. So he built robot combat events that, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and once that had sort of become the de facto standard, I said, you know what, there's really no point I'm paying like $50 a month to keep the site going with all the hosting and the email and all that stuff that, that it needs. Um, it's just kind of like just limping along, there's kind of no point in, um, in, in keeping it going really, uh, other than just like a historical, you know, record place, you know, like a museum essentially. And, um, that kind of got me bummed out, you know, it was, uh, I put a lot of time into it. I've had it running for 20 years and, um, you know, it just sort of got me sad that it was just going to disappear and, uh, you know, a bunch of people reached out and they were like, Hey, can I take it over? Can I do this? Can I take the you know data and do something cool with it? And so that sort of got me motivated to say like, well, maybe I should just take the time to, you know, redo it properly. And at least if anything, just so that it can last for another 10 or 15, 20 years with new technology as like the, the, you know, storefront for the museum. Right. Um, but you know, uh, hopefully the goal is that, you know, people start using it. And um, I think it provides a good experience. I think it's a good splash page for, um, you know, new people to come visit because it's got pictures and it's got, uh, you know, a lot more information clearly laid out uh, that, you know, the goal is to, to make a place where the teams and the events and the organizations that run the events and the builders themselves can easily post things that they want to show off to new potential builders and fans without having to go through the effort of like building their own website and things like that. So really to, to become a social media of robot combat. And uh, you know, so that's the goal and it's just still early, right? I just launched it. Uh, so 
it was very rushed, right? I said, like, if I'm going to do this, I can't waste a bunch of time on it. I got to just do it fast. And because, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, have a, I have a business to run over here. I can't spend, everybody's going to be looking at me like if I'm, if I'm wasting too much time on this. So um, I kind of just got the, you know, minimum viable product out there uh, to start with. But, you know, there's big plans, of course, uh, to do more stuff, more photo gallery stuff, you know, live streaming type of things. I'd love to talk to, you know, you guys over at Norwalk about, um, you know, integrating the streaming so that we can have your event and other events pop up there automatically and send notifications out to everybody when streaming happens so that everybody can know about it in one central place. You know, that kind of thing is is um, really exciting to me and, and hopefully I can get to that. Yeah, that's really awesome. Awesome. Um, and then uh, I wanted to ask about Double Robotics, um, kind of your your projects, you know, your your startup, your company, you know, for the last decade. Um, I saw that you were a Y Combinator company, which, um, so like, uh, for people in Silicon Valley, they know that that's a very big deal. <laughs> uh, if you're not from Silicon Valley, maybe you haven't heard of Y Combinator, but it's like, uh, basically kind of the startup um chocolate factory, I guess, in Silicon Valley, only kind of the best of the best get, get selected. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I'd love to hear more about the company. Um, it's does telepresence robots. Is that right? Yep. That's right. Yeah. It's basically, uh, well, it used to be an iPad on wheels, essentially like uh, Skype or FaceTime on wheels. We've since replaced the iPad with our own, uh, device up top, but, uh, yeah, it's basically, um, a telepresence robot. Most Robot people know what a telepresence robot is. Um, we call it a telecommuting robot for people that aren't in that world, you know, because it, uh, it's easier to understand. But uh, especially during COVID, uh, with so many people working from home and, uh, you know, people coming back to the office, you're starting to see these hybrid offices pop up where there's some people who just can't go to the office anymore. But, you know, a lot of people are back and, and working, especially people that need to work with their hands, engineers, mechanical engineers. Uh, you know, people that, that, uh, run like, uh, warehouses around the, you know, the country or around the world have to visit the warehouses to check in on them and things like that. Um, so this gives them the ability to sort of roll around and have a meeting without bothering people to like set up a Skype meeting and like calendar events and like be stuck in a conference room. You can actually, you know, be in control of your own destiny when you when you call in on a robot you can do whatever you want you can go to whoever's office you want you can talk to anybody you can have a meeting with anybody you want you can have that hallway conversation and uh that's what we allow people to do and it's been you know super helpful to people especially during covid we we started 10 years ago we started in 2012 but uh only recently has it sort of clicked in people's minds that hey you know this working from home thing is is a thing now and there's some people that just, um, you know, maybe either had to move for family or stay at home because of some, you know, medical condition or something like that. And uh, it just makes sense, you know, to, to give them that autonomy in the office. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, a couple of years into starting the startup, uh, BattleBots came back on TV. So you now you're yeah. running a young, young startup, BattleBots comes back. Can you talk about season one? Like, did Greg and Trey reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Um, how did they select IceWave? I would also love to hear about your experience on season one, um, because IceWave is an incredibly striking robot. Like I know that when BattleBots was coming back, they wanted the ABC executives to be really wowed and like seeing a gas powered, terrifying horizontal, I'm sure was like a major draw for them. Um, you know, can you kind of bring us back to, to the reboot, um, and, and your participation that, that season? Yeah, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but um, 
I, I definitely made an application video and an application like PDF and renderings and things like that. And I sent that to them. I think, like you said, they were trying to wow the executives at ABC to get this show going. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, maybe I embellished a little bit on the application. I think I had like fire coming out of the tips of the blade and like ridiculous exhaust pipes sticking out, just stupid things that were never good. I, I wanted to make it happen, but just in reality, it was never going to happen. But uh, yeah, it worked, whatever it was, it worked. And uh, yeah, for, for me though, it was, um, they, they, I think, you know, there was rumor that BattleBots was coming back or, or Trey and Greg asked, you know, do you want to build something? And I said, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know what I'm going to build, but um, you know, what would be exciting? And it was like, well, I know I have this, I actually still have the engine and I still have like a blade and uh, you know, some parts from the old ice wave from 10 years ago or whatever it was 15 years ago. And uh, so that would be like, it's still exciting, right? It was very exciting when it existed. It just, and nobody ever saw it. Nobody ever saw it on TV and YouTube barely exists. You can go look up old videos of ice wave that were taken by my mom with her, like, you know, big over the shoulder camcorder at the event. And it's, she's like aiming at the floor half the time. So nobody really saw ice wave. And uh, so that I think caught their eye. And I mean, I never really, I knew it wasn't going to win because ice wave never won before. I mean, it was a disaster, right? It was just always exploding. Always the head was flying off. The blade was flying off. Just, just craziness. Right. So I never expected it to win. I never expected it to even do well, but I said, this thing's going to put on a good show. That's for sure. It's going to be, it's going to do something crazy. And, um, yeah, so they picked it and, uh, it was, that was pretty exciting to get picked. And I think it was, wasn't even that many robots. It was like 20 robots or 25 robots or something like that. And they were doing it, uh, right here in Vallejo, which was exciting too, because I could just drive there and bring all my stuff. And, uh, that was like a first for me because I'd always lived in a place where it was, I had to pack it up in a crate and wait two weeks and half my stuff wasn't there because it was too heavy and all that stuff. So it was really cool having it sort of in my backyard. And uh, yeah, it was uh, right around that time. I think we were a couple of years into double robotics. I said, I can't do this by myself. If we're going to build a 220 pound robot or 250 pound robot, I got to recruit some people and all my friends were doing it right. Like Paul was doing it. And um you know, all the people around here were doing it because it was around here. And so I needed some people. So I recruited some people from work. Uh, they couldn't say no because they worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not true. No, uh, Angie is awesome. Angie was our mechanical engineer at Double in 2015 or 20, I guess, 2013, 2014 timeframe. And, uh, and yeah, she was like, I said, here's what, what I want to build. Like, just go design it. And she just went into SolidWorks and just designed the whole thing in SolidWorks, uh, you know, in a matter of like a month or something like that, we came, we built the whole thing. And, uh, so, and she was, she's been my teammate ever since, even though she doesn't even work for us anymore. She's like totally hooked and, uh, she's awesome. She's the, the best teammate you can have. She gets like super pumped about it. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, recruiting people from, from work was a good idea. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> everybody loves it and, and it's become a thing, you know, at work, like, we're like the company that has the battle bot, you know, on TV, which is good for recruiting more people to come work for us. And, um, you know, just kind of get people excited about the team robot, you know, that kind of thing. So it's fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, one last question before I turn it over to the very many fan questions that we got. Um, I think one of the really amazing things about battle bots as an experience is 
when you're there and you kind of see it and you hear it. And Ice Wave is just such a striking robot in the box. It's the live experience. You know, it just roars to life. It is loud. It is exciting. Um, you know, like that. that is something that I, you just... It, like I feel like the TV struggles to capture, um, but if you if you're one of the many thousands of people now who have seen Ice Wave fight in person, it is incredible. So um, yeah, I can I can absolutely see the executives you know just being wowed by this this incredible robot standing cage side. Um, so yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, and it's no wonder that you have so many fans. Um, I, I, I would love to jump into, I guess that wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say they, they, they didn't, um, just, just to add to that story, yeah. they didn't actually tape it in the same order as they aired it, but I was very surprised because they aired Ice Waves versus uh, Razorback as the first episode of the reboot, which was like the best. And they put, they did like a whole feature on, on me and Double Robotics for like yeah. three minutes before the match. And that was just incredible. And that really, um, uh, was was awesome and that just lock, locked me in you know i said like that's that's too cool i gotta i gotta keep doing this so um and hopefully that that also I, I've, I've heard people come up to me you know at the tapings and and just uh at disney world like i've had people come up to me <laughs> and say like i love your robot yeah that one robot that one match just got me hooked you know when i saw that for the first time so i'm glad they did that i'm really grateful for them for doing that yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right, I want to jump into the very many fan questions. Because we have so many, feel free to um, answer as short as you'd like. <laughs> um, or, you know, if, if there's if there's a good question that you really want to go deep on, um, feel free to do so. But um, just feel confident that there are uh, questions about virtually every aspect of the robot. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep it short. I've, I've been rambling too long. No, no, no. Let's, no, no, let's no. do it. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> let's let's go for our first three three hour episode. That's perfect. Um, okay. So uh, I want to start off uh, first with a historical question from Triton Captain Brad Hanstead, who miraculously is not asking about Thanos this week. Um, he wants to Hi, know: uh, Is Green Wave better? <laughs> uh, there were definitely versions of Green Wave that were that were pretty good, and and uh, yeah, Green Wave Squared was not better. I think Paul will admit Greenwave Squared was an absolute disaster. And I've, I told the story why. So yeah. short answer, yes. Good. Um, all right, let's jump into like just all of the super hard-hitting questions from BattleBot yeah. Superfan Alexander Archer, who just... He just has a way of just, just uh, you know, cutting straight to the bone on these. So this is perfect. All right. So his Let's first question is, uh, why, despite being an OG of the reboot era, was Ice Wave not selected to compete in BattleBots 7? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I wish I could tell you the answer, Alexander. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look, obviously, I'm not fooling myself over here. Ice Wave is definitely past its prime. Uh, but that doesn't mean we didn't have things that we wanted to do to make it better. And we knew exactly what we wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, Ice Wave, like I said before, was never really meant to win. It was always meant to put on a good show. And I think we failed to do that for sure. I think one of the problems with this um, the fight card format that I was thinking about is like, I distinctly remember, okay, so I fought Yeti, right, in this contentious match where Greg called me a bad word on TV. And it was because I had done some, it was an accident. Like I scraped his wheel at the end. And then it's sort of like, oh, Mark is the bad, bad guy at BattleBots now. And then I sort of 
embraced that for the rest of that 2018 season. And like, I just, you know, tore, tore huge in half and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then I sort of reeled it back in with this now realizing that you have to have so many spare parts. I fought, um, obviously we got, we got owned by, uh, by Black Dragon this season in our first fight. Second fight, we fought, um, deadlift and something happened. They died similar to the way Yeti died, where like the receiver came unplugged or something like that. And, but I distinctly remember sitting there going, I really, really, really want to keep attacking, but I don't want to, number one, I don't want to lose the match because we can all lose a match if you just, you know, make one more hit and they come back to life and you die. Uh, but I don't also don't want to cause these guys a ton of damage and I don't want to cause a bunch of, a bunch of damage to myself because we all have to just com- compete in like three more matches at least. So it's, uh, you know, sort of downfall of this fight card format. Um, but I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love the fight card format. I love having the chance to fight so many times, no matter what. But uh, yeah, it's, I would have loved, I think that that puts a damper on how much Ice Wave can show off. And, and you know, when we can't get good hits on people because, you know, uh, their wedge is always facing us or whatever, like it, you just, it's hard to put on a good show. So uh, yeah, I think that that sort of was why we didn't get picked. We just didn't have a good showing last season. But um you know, there's, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, to uh, the Ice Wave, you know, it's certainly past its prime, but the uh, they're not doing any favors to horizontal spinners. And I know there's a, a bunch of horizontal guys and girls just like me that are very upset about the, the way the upper deck was introduced last season. Um, yeah, I mean, I had, I had just decided to come back with Ice Wave um, and I put about 20 grand of my own money into building a second copy of Ice Wave with, with substantial upgrades, you know, as brushless motors and all kind of stuff. Uh, nothing that anybody would know about, you know, sort of sticking on brand with Ice Wave. But, um, you know, to sort of have that longevity that we needed to show up to an event where we fight four times at least or, you know, potentially 11 times or 14 times or whatever it is if you, if you go the distance. And... Um, yeah, and, and so I had just sunk a ton of money into this thing. I'm just busting my butt, you know, missing time with my my wife and daughter and just just killing myself over building Ice Wave again. Because it's like, what do you build, right? What do you build at this point? You've already got Ice Wave. You might as well just stick with the brand that everybody knows and loves, even though it's not going to win. It's still cool. It's still got some uniqueness to it. And it's like, like he said, it's an OG, right? Um, so I thought uh, that was the right move. And then it was like a maybe you know, 40 or 50 days before the event, um, uh, Trey decides to have this Zoom call with all the builders and says, hey, I'm doing this shelf thing. And I just remember everybody was sort of just flabbergasted by it. Um, I was in Miami at the time with Victor Soto and uh, just hanging out with him on the call together. And we just both looked at each other like, wow, this is bad. And, you know, I tried everything I could to convince them not to do it, but, you know, it ultimately is their show and they're going to do what they want. But um, really, really bad timing on their part and, and just poorly planned out. Uh, and it really did a disservice to a whole group of builders. And, um, you know, that sort of puts a damper on the the way you react in the future. You know, um, if I know another season is coming or if I don't know another season is coming, I'm not going to invest another $20,000 of my own money without having sponsors lined up, not knowing there's another season coming, not knowing that they're going to just change the rules completely on me. You know, it, it, the, the shelf especially hurt Ice Wave given a number of factors, which we found out later, like the screws being in the center of the arena, right at the blade height, sucking us in. Uh, you know, we didn't have very big wheels. We have actually the smallest wheels on, I think, any battle lot. We have three-inch mm-hmm. wheels. If anybody's got smaller wheels than Ice Wave, please let me know. But I think <laughs> we have the uh, 
we, we win that battle. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that just gives us like an unfair a disadvantage, you know, with the shelf. You know, everybody's like, oh, just drive off the shelf. Well, that's not super easy when you have three inch wheels and the shelf is like eight inches or 12 inches tall, you know? So uh, yeah, just the way it was introduced was very, very bad um, and, you know, poorly done, I think. And really, really, you know, sets sets a bad tone for the way I am going to, you know, think about the show in the future and what I want to build. Cause it just, every time it's going to be a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I really spent a lot of money on that and it didn't do so well. And then not only that, but then they decide, Hey, you know, you didn't have a good showing partially because ice wave is just kind of past its prime, but you know, let's, let's be honest. The shelf didn't do us any favors and you know, yeah. And now we're not going to invite you back. So now I've got two robots here, $50,000 worth of parts. And, you know, fortunately I was lucky enough to get some really awesome sponsors, Husqvarna and SolidWorks and uh, PCB were really awesome, you know, to me last season and, um, you know, in, in, in recouping the costs that I spent on Ice Wave. So, uh, just, uh, very frustrating the way the whole thing was, was planned out. So yeah, to answer your question, I don't know. I would love to get the chance to try out a bunch of new things. we got a bunch of things in the works, but, um, I don't know if they'll ever come to be at this point. Yeah. Uh, Alexander has a follow-up question. What's your reaction to finding out Tombstone will not be competing in Battle about seven and how will Ray's absence impact the season? Yeah, that's a, that's a big, bigger one than ice wave not showing up. I think everybody's a lot more sad about that. Um, yeah, but um, I've known about Ray's hand injury for, since like, since it had happened. And um, I know there was talk, he was talking about having Justin drive and I'm not sure if that just didn't work out time wise or whatever it was. Um, I know there's stuff he's got to do to build, you know, build things obviously. And he's the primary builder too. So not having a working hand is, um, it puts a damper on things, but yeah, obviously we want to see Ray make a full recovery and I know that's been a struggle for him. So, uh, you know, all the best to him and it's, he'll be back. There's no, <laughs> Ray's, Ray's like me. He's just not going to disappear. So, uh, I'm not too worried. Uh, Alexander asks, why didn't Ice Wave compete in Discovery Season 5, but then it did compete in Bounty Hunters back in 2020? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we were working on, uh, we did Remars in 2019, and that was sort of like just uh, getting rid of like the last bits of the old Ice Wave that we had from Season 3, uh, you know, the 2018 event, just kind of destroying whatever last little things we had that we didn't want anymore, the old engine and that kind of stuff. But we were secretly working on a new engine uh, around that time. It just wasn't done in time for Remars. And uh, and we had every intention to compete in the 2020 season, but of course COVID happened. Um, and at that point in time, I couldn't get any of my team to actually uh, commit to coming to the event. And, you know, they have family and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, some of my team had to fly across the country. Some have, you know, two kids. So it's, it's really hard. Um, to commit to doing a two week taping when, when that's just, you know, just uh, a brand new thing that nobody really knew what was going to happen and how it was going to be handled and uh, that kind of stuff. So that was fair. I said, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it this season. I want to sit out again. And, um, but then Trey and Greg came to me and they said, Hey, you know, we're doing this new thing, uh, this bounty hunter. I don't even know if it was called that at the time, but where you basically just have to show up for one event. You can uh, have your pit area in a, corner somewhere where you're not even around anybody else and uh so you don't need to do all the you know really strict covid procedures and stuff like that turns out you did anyway but um yeah it was just uh it was billed as like a you know much easier thing and you know we'll give you a, a build stipend and stuff like that to come and do this one one uh one sort of show fight and 
that was good. That was, um, I was like, yeah, I think I could do that because the hard part is of course having to rebuild at the event. That's why having a team is super useful, but, uh, just having, you know, myself and, uh, I recruited one other friend who had never done battle bots before to come, you know, just help me lift things. Uh, now he's like full on teammate, which is awesome. But, uh, you know, that was easier to do. And so that's why we did that one fight. But I do regret not doing the whole thing because once you get there and you schlep all your stuff and you set up your pit and you do all the things and, and then you have this one fight and it's kind of a letdown and you learn a bunch of things. Like the reason our engine didn't work because, was because the you know belt was too loose or whatever, the gasket burned out or something. Um, it was very frustrating. So I was like, ah, I should have just done the whole thing. It would have been better. But yeah, hindsight, you know. <laughs> Right. Um, will Icewave return for BattleBots 8 if there is one next year? Or is it time to retire it considering how much the field has evolved and now uh, how, and now know how to take on horizontal spinners? Yeah, certainly. The, the, I mean, really hard questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, of course, people are going to ask, right? It's, uh, it's the question everybody wants to know. Icewave still exists, so mm. I'm not going to just throw it away unless somebody wants to buy it. Hey, you know, that's fine. Um, you, you Norwalk guys are kind of crazy. I know there's a museum running over there. Maybe Icewave deserves to be in the museum, but uh, I mean, it still exists and I'm not, it's not going to go any, go away. And I do still have things that I want to do with it. I would love to see, um, you know, like uh, a bigger engine. I think uh, our sort of goal with this custom engine was to sort of prove it out that we could build our own engine. And uh, now that we've sort of mastered that formula, there's no reason why we can't scale it up. And one of the cool things about engines, by the way, is that I've discovered, or at least I think is true, is that you know you get um, you get more power uh, because of the, um, the surface area of the piston, right? It's like uh, squared. The as the surface area of the piston increases, you get like a lot more power. So you don't actually need a, a giant engine to make a lot more power. You just need a slightly larger engine. Whereas if you want to make double the power with a with a brushless motor, you need a much bigger motor and much bigger batteries and all that stuff. So um, I don't know. Somebody should do the math on that and figure out what that is. But it seems like all the infrastructure you need to run a gas engine, if you could just scale it up a little bit, uh, the infrastructure all kind of stays the same and the piston just gets bigger, you know, so you can get a lot more power out of it. So there's things like that that I would like to see. Um, yeah, I mean, sort of like going back in time too, like ice was never my thing. I'm an electrical guy. <laughs> like I would love to build a, an electric powered robot, um, but it's, you know, it's overplayed now and, and ice has become my, my shtick. Uh, for better or worse, it's sort of like, you know, I know Al feels the same way about uh, Blacksmith, you know, sort of the fire hammer thing has become his thing, right? And it's just, uh, it's what we signed up for when we when we wanted to grab the attention of the ABC executives. And so, you know, we're signed up for that and we might as well just uh, keep going as much as possible. And that was the goal. So yeah, we could be back in 20, uh, whatever it is, <laughs> 2023, 2024, um, you know, if they, if they let us back and uh, hopefully they give us enough notice and our sponsors are still ready and willing and we can build something even better and you know in the uh in the vein of icewave cool very cool um alexander asked just two more questions why doesn't icewave have a self-writing mechanism have you thought about that <laughs> <laughs> well there are some people on reddit who can answer this question uh but icewave did actually have a self-writing mechanism <gasps> gasp i know uh, there's been lots of contention over this, um, but I'm here to say it did exist and maybe I'll find some pictures and post it at some point. If, uh, somebody wants to start a thread, I'll find the pictures and post it. But, um, yeah, so we lost in, uh, in season one against Ghost Raptor. Obviously everybody knows the whole, uh, what was it? What is this thing called? 
the uh, the bar that he put on top. I forget the name of it now. Right. Gosh. Anyway, uh, he put he put that on top, and and our blade didn't even hit that. That wasn't the thing that caused us to flip over. Guys, come on. We hit ourselves, FYI. Hmm. We found out that later our blade flexes a whole lot more than we thought. And we hit ourselves. We hit our own little shaft that was sticking down. And that's what caused us to flip over. But we didn't figure that out until like two seasons later. So we always thought like, oh, we got to have a self-writing mechanism for next season. And so we actually built a self-writing mechanism without having to redesign all of Ice Wave and all this stuff. Um, we basically made a lighter, lighter weight wedge uh, on the front. So we gained about like, you know, 15 pounds of free uh, weight to play around with. And I found this pneumatic piston that was like the perfect size to fit in the, in the head, in like the forehead of ice waves of the, of the engine cover. And there was nothing up there. And I just bolted it in and I could, I just hooked it up to like a big argon tank that I had at, at work for like my welder and like a big ball valve. And I just flipped over. What we found out was that Ice Wave would only ever flip over and land in one orientation because of the weight distribution. So every time, ice, like no matter what you would do, it would always land with its front wedge facing down because the wedge was so heavy. Hmm. And um, so with that, we could put this piston there and it just like the stars aligned and this piston would just pop out like three inches and poke out enough that it would flip the whole robot over like pretty dramatic fashion because you can imagine like a tiny little piston in there running like 800 psi just straight co2 or whatever it was and i tested it out with a ball valve boom it works okay awesome now i gotta figure out how to like get all these get this pressure inside of the robot and we we decided to go with a one single use uh nitrogen because nitrogen was what BattleBots allowed single use like 900 psi nitrogen uh like cartridge for like a co2 tank like a um like a paintball gun you know like one of those ones you screw in and, and you just throw it away when you're done and uh it'll be one one fire you get one chance to flip back over <laughs> so we uh we had it working and it was it was great and uh i've got video of it somewhere i'll find but um gosh yeah and and uh we spent so much time getting that stupid thing working you know we figured out ah, ice wave is fine everything about ice wave will just do the same thing as last year now we just got to get the self-writer working. We spent so much time getting the self-writer working that everything else broke. And uh, yeah, it was just a nightmare. And uh turns out that, you know, we really don't flip over all that much on our own, like from hitting people, uh, even against like Yeti with their big wedge. There's a great slow-mo uh, video of us hitting Yeti's wedge where Ice Wave just kind of goes straight up and the blade is flapping around and it bounce and it just lands back down. So, I mean, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a chance uh, Ice Wave would flip over, but it wasn't nearly as drastic as everybody thinks it is or, or mm. that we thought it was. And so we kind of scrapped the self-writing thing for next time and in, um, you know, in the hopes that we can make a better, like more reliable Ice Wave. And it, I would say it probably worked because 2018 was our better season than uh, 2017, for sure. Uh, Alex from Northwestern University's Combat Robotics team writes, we heard that Ice Wave had an engine upgrade in either season five or season six. I don't remember exactly which. Can you give us any technical information on Ice Wave's custom engine and what made it a better engine for combat robotics in theory? Yes. Well, I don't know about for combat robotics, but I can tell you about it. <laughs> the, uh, the, so the engine started out, same, like I said, same one as Ice Wave back in 2005, 120-pound uh, Ice Wave. It's a... It started out as a partner K1250 concrete saw and partner got bought by Husqvarna, who is now one of our sponsors. 
And uh, we kept the engine just the whole time. And eventually I got Husqvarna to, to really love the idea. But um, yeah, so the, uh, the upgrades though, of course, in 2018, we were, we were having all kinds of, like, even though we ripped Vanquish in half that first fight, we got back to the pits and we're like, everything's great. And then we started tearing it apart and it was really not great. It was not good at all. Like the engine had all these hairline cracks that were forming because the engine from a concrete saw is meant for like a person to carry around all day. So it's got to be really light. And so it's made out of cast magnesium, the, the crankcase of an engine and of this engine. And uh, so the cast magnesium, which we were kind of like Frankensteining into ice wave this whole time, uh, was starting to, you know, form these hairline cracks and we never really noticed it. Maybe it had happened the previous season and we just didn't notice it. But, um, yeah, so, so that was like our big, big task list item to, uh, to, to tackle for when we wanted to build some, build the next version of it, whatever it was. So the custom engine, quote unquote, custom engine was really just a custom crankcase. And, um, you know, but that, that alone is like a huge undertaking, right? If we're going to, go down the path of building our custom engine. We have to take little bits off at a time. Um, we have to bite off little bits at a time. And uh, so the crankcase was sort of the first thing that we wanted to do. And uh, we decided to make that out of billet aluminum. So the crankcase for this, whatever it was, like you said, I don't, I don't remember. It, uh, it was right after, I think it was 2020, basically uh, the COVID year that we didn't compete, but we did actually compete for the bounty uh, was, our, was our first time running that custom crankcase. And with that came a, lo- uh, a bunch of other technical little minor details that nobody would ever care about. But like um, we got rid of the electronic, uh, we got rid of the uh, magneto, which is a coil of wire. There's a spinning magnet that goes by a coil of wire to make a spark for the spark plug. And that was causing radio interference. And it was a nightmare for many seasons. That's why we lost against nightmare and stuff in the previous season. Uh, one of the, whatever that was 2017. So lots of little details along the way. We, we upgraded that to, an electronic ignition. We upgraded our starter motor so that it's integrated into the crankcase and it doesn't have connection issues and gear stripping out and all kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just overall a much better form factor engine than anything you could buy. Like that's the problem with engines is you can't just buy an engine that goes into a battle bot. They all are meant to be like on a dirt bike. Like dirt bike engine is probably the closest thing you can get, but nobody needs a you know multi-speed transmission and uh, cast iron crankcase for mm. BattleBot, you know? So there's lots of little details like that that people don't realize. And uh, there's not a great off-the-shelf solution. So that's why we decided to do our own. And we the, the goal was to start with a custom crankcase because once you figure out all of the, um, you know, requirements of that, like what is the um, volume of air that needs to be inside of the crankcase to get the right compression and, uh, you know, how do you mount it properly and how do you get the gearing for the starter motor and all that stuff uh, worked out. That was, you know, step one. And step two is build a bigger, more powerful version of the same thing. So that was the goal. But maybe maybe we'll get to see that. Hopefully we do. Um, hopefully Ice Wave comes back so we can show off some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Matt Lantry, who runs Fallout at Norwalk Havoc, asks, if you had a rematch against modern Ghost Raptor with modern Ice Wave, who do you think would win? Oh, gosh. It's, it's hard to imagine either of those robots being modernized. Uh <laughs> Um, I will always picture Ghost Raptor the same, and I will always picture Ice Wave the same. I think it was a fluke what happened against Ghost Raptor. We've learned a lot. So when we hit ourselves, we flipped over. And I don't know if that would happen anymore uh, these days. Of course, a million other things would probably go wrong. So, uh, yeah, I would love to fight Ghost Raptor again. I'd love to fight everybody that we've lost to again. Maybe not Scorpius. 
I'm done with those guys. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, of course, I would love to fight everybody again and uh, and have a second chance, you know. But um, yeah, I think uh, maybe it would end up the same way. I don't know. But I'd like to think Iceway would do better than just flipping over. Thomas Carroll, who runs Manufacturer Recalled, asks, if combustion engines were to be banned at BattleBots, would you replace the weapon drive with an electric motor and a speaker system to replicate the sound, or would you create an entirely different weapon? <laughs> yeah, the speaker thing. I think there's like a part of the BattleBots rules where you can like strap on extraneous things and they don't account for your weight. Like they don't right. count in your weight. Uh, yeah, I think um, Deadlift asked me, and I, this is the first time I'd even heard of it because I don't read the rules. I'm a complete ingrate when it comes to battle bots. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they said like, hey, can we add these little like um, decorative pieces on there? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. But I didn't know about that. So yeah, maybe the sound thing could be considered one of those things. But no, that's that's a terrible idea. I'm never going to go with electric. I'm never going to sell out, guys. No, uh, I don't know. I mean, if I built something new and it had an electric motor, it wouldn't be Ice Wave. It wouldn't look like Ice Wave. Um, but I don't think it's out of the question that I would build something else with an ice with like with another gas engine, you know, maybe. Mm. I don't know if I would succumb to the vertical spinner thing. I think it's really uh, the, the meta, you know, the way it's going right now is really a shame. Uh, especially, you know, like I said, you know, got into the whole uh, upper deck thing and just the way they've really hampered uh, the, you know, flippers and things like that with the out, out of the arena zones and stuff. It's just really hard to be any other robot other than a vertical spinner these days. And they're not really doing any favors to the people that are trying to stay away from that. I would love to build a, one of my favorite robots of all time. Of course I hit on at the beginning was um, uh, a big fan of Derek Young and complete control. And I thought that was, you know, just a work of art and the way you can manipulate other robots by just picking them up and bringing them exactly where you wanted. I think that's really cool. I'd love to see that be competitive somehow. I just don't think it could be given the circumstances given the the arena and the you know the the other robots that are that exist right now so i don't know how to solve it i wish i could mm. ryan hunter who runs harvester at norwalk havoc writes uh he has a two questions uh first is a bot question what fuel does your combustion engine use and how do you protect the fuel reservoir good questions yeah uh I know it's disappointing, but we use like 92 octane or whatever from the gas station. <laughs> uh, there was one season where we were like having trouble with the engine and somebody convinced us that it was not enough, not, not high enough octane gasoline. So I ran, I drove all the way to like Pasadena or some terribly far place to get gasoline. And it was, they had like a hundred octane or something, not even, you know, nothing, nothing really special. And that didn't, of course, that didn't solve our problem, but. Yeah. So ever since, actually, I use the. Um, I found out. I don't know. I've been living under a rock this whole time because, like I said, I'm not a gas engine person. Um, I've been. I didn't know that you can like go to Home Depot and buy pre-mixed gasoline and oil for like a weed whacker. So, <laughs> so when I discovered that, I was like, oh, now I just got to go buy that because that's easy and that's what I use. Yeah, it's like um, I want to say it's yeah, like 91 or 92 octane or something, and it's got pre-mixed oil. Yeah, it's boring. Sorry. What was the other question? Um, oh no! The, uh, oh, the fuel, the fuel tank. Um, yeah, yeah. How 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 do you protect it? We don't. It's like a hobby grade uh, fuel tank. There's something in the rules that's like you need to have it well protected, but define well protected. You know, it's mm -hmm. like uh, our engine cover for the first four seasons was eighth inch aluminum, which is basically tin foil. You know, it's nothing, um, right. and that's when we got 
we got obliterated by rotator. That was everybody's like, oh my god, Ice Wave got destroyed. It's like, dude, that's like eighth inch aluminum. That's like, you know, pre Comedy Central era technology up there. We just had no weight to do anything else. And it's like, if you do it right, nobody's ever going to touch that part because of the blade spinning. But right. know, of course, the, the goal is to just keep the blade spinning. So yeah, we don't really protect it that well. And fortunately, nobody's hit it. There's not that much gas in there. It's eight ounces, so it's not that much. Mm. I don't think it. You know, like I think the worst thing that could happen is probably like the gasoline would leak out and like go down between the cracks in the arena. That would pretty be pretty exciting. And then the floor of the venue would catch on fire. But yeah, no, <laughs> nothing ever bad has happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising. It's only eight ounces. I mean, I guess in my, in my head, I'm thinking there's gallons and gallons of gas up there, but uh, yeah, people want to see that big explosion. Yeah. It's like, sorry guys, we're just not going to ever see that. I think Yeah, even if you had like a direct hit on it, it would just go poof and you know, nothing like the, you know, explosion of, of a CO2 tank even probably. Right. um, It's just a small amount because you got, you only got to run for three minutes. So there's no point in having more. Right. That's true. Uh, Ryan has a fun question. He says, hypothetically, if you have a hundred dollars and you have to pick one big box store to build a robot in 24 hours, what's the plan? What's the big box store that you choose? What kind of robot do you build with a hundred dollars or less? Uh, just using components from that store. I would love to see this competition because this, this existed actually when I was in, I think it was in high school still or college. There was a college that I wasn't going to, but another local college that did this exact thing. Mm. They saw BattleBots and they said, we want to have a BattleBots event, but we don't want to like get into the arms race of, you know, one team coming in and just owning everybody with their money and stuff like that. So they said, $100 limit and you've got to bring in your receipts and you can only buy from, I think they said you can only buy from like Home Depot and Radio Shack. Wow. This is 2002, right? So, or, or something like that, you know, there's a couple stores you can buy from and you got to show your receipts. And it was everything. It's not like, uh, oh, batteries are exempted or anything like that. It was just everything. So I did this. I did a, um, I built a flipper. It looked kind of like, uh, kind of like T minus, I guess you could say, like a two wheel drive, uh, spatula flipper with a, with a, um, you know, whatever, um, I think I had onboard like, um, air compressor and two drills with like, you know, Colson wheels chucked in on a bolt. For, for drivetrain and um, and like I, I think I custom turned a piston out of like some plastic or something with an O-ring and it was it did pretty well uh, this was at the time most people were using it didn't even have to be remote controlled you could just like have wires going into the arena so yeah lots of concessions were made but um, <laughs> that would be fun I, that's yeah. what I would build again actually I think for a hundred dollars I think that would be a pretty cool robot this is a fun mini series idea, and I think I'm going to pitch it to Norwalk. I think it's uh, I think it's perfect for the kind of weird brand of of combat robotics that we're building. So that's I, I, I think like of it. all of the things. I think I, I love the idea of sportsman class. Um, yeah, that's really cool. But I think of all the things that's going to change the the meta or get get back to the good old days of having 600 robots and kids building. I don't even think I finished saying what I was going to say. The coolest thing about BattleBots was that right. I, as a kid, could build something in my mom's garage yeah. and compete against a NASA engineer and win if I did it right. And everybody would see it on TV. And that was just the coolest thing ever. And um, we need to get back there because I think people are missing out. There's a whole generation of, of kids and, and even adult parents, you know, that are, that are totally missing out on that, um, that, that opportunity to, to build something without spending $20,000 on it. Mm, 
Yeah, totally agree. Um, Eric Shaw, who uh, runs the rotator-inspired undercutter revolver at Norwalk Havoc, um, asks, spot question, your blade seems to be unusually thin versus other horizontal weapons, although quite effective. What was the original thought process around that choice? Ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the blade, so if you go back and look on like these old school videos of Ice Wave at, at BattleBots IQ, the blade was basically the same. I think it was like, three-eighths blade before, and now it's five-eighths or something like that. So still relatively thin for its weight class, like you said. But um, yeah, I like when when I redesigned Ice Wave for the reboot, I thought five-eighths more than enough. Like nothing, that's not going to bend. <laughs> you go look at the replays, like I said, against that Yeti fight, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's bending like, you know, eight inches or 10 inches flopping around like that. Like it's just totally made out of rubber. And we didn't realize it at the time. So yes, just ignorance. Um, and then sticking with it because that's what everything is designed around at this point. And, you know, we've been pretty lucky that it hasn't broken um, in, in a fantastic form other than at Remars against the one and only bite force, which is expected, but, you know, direct, direct hits against blades. I think, you know, part of it is we've just never really fought um, really, really hard hitters other than, you know, the, the ones this season and, uh, you know, bite force at Remars. So it's uh it's just survived by pure luck at this point but certainly if i were to you know do another season um with enough advance notice i would build shorter stubbier blades for sure very cool uh johnny sumpas who runs spartan at uh at Norwalk kavik he, he actually kind of reminds me a little bit of you he just turned 16 he is uh just an incredibly great builder um and uh, builds a very very uh, competitive, horizontal. Um, he writes, Hi, Mark. You are the biggest inspiration to me, and my first big functional robot was a Lego Ice Wave. Ha ha. If Ice Wave doesn't come back to BattleBots, will there be another robot that you'll compete with to take the Legends place, perhaps another gas-powered weapon, or would you steer away from that for a more competitive robot? Thank you for inspiring so many builders like me with your awesome robots. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's uh, that's why I do it. So I really, really love hearing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I would love. I mean, I sort of hit on it, you know, earlier about the you know the way the shelf was handled and stuff like that. But uh, it's really hard to to fathom what you would build these days other than a vertical spinner if mm-hmm. you wanted to try to be competitive. And uh, yeah, I would love to build something like um, like I said, uh, complete control. I know like um, Defender tried to do that last season, and they didn't really have a great showing. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but uh, it's just really hard to do given given the current landscape of robots, and um, I wish it was. I wish you could, you know, it, I wish it was more of the rock paper scissors game that it used to be. It used to be every robot had its counter attack, you know, every, every counterpart. Uh, you know, for every rock, there's there's paper, and uh, it's sort of just rock, rock, rock. Now everything is the same, and uh, nothing's really. I mean, obviously, it's it's amazing to me that it took this long to for people for everybody to discover it and it really was the advent of brushless motors and lithium batteries and stuff like that that um that brought that about so it makes sense but physics right it's equal uh you know every every uh, action has an equal but opposite reaction um you really cannot beat a vertical spinner putting all the energy back into the floor and sending it you know into the other robot so yeah it's just really hard to consider what um what it is. Hopefully I get inspired at some point, but right now not feeling super inspired given the way the, um, the whole, you know, events transpired with the shelf and, and then getting rejected. So we'll see. Um, I hope to still be involved in some way. And I still, 
I guess I have to carry the torch for the ice people. Uh, I heard Rusty was trying to build an ice robot last year. I helped him out a little bit with it. So I don't know if they're coming with that this year. Hopefully they do. Maybe they just said, you know what? Hey, uh, Rusty's got the ice and Bloodsport has that cool thing on top of the blade. We don't need you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I certainly hope not. Um, Yeah. Mitchell uh, wants to know what, oh, this is an interesting question. Totally out of left field. What is your opinion on the combat robot gaming community? If you have one, uh, such as Robot Arena 2, G Wars, RR2, et cetera. Do you play these games? Do you have an opinion about them? Gosh, uh, if I, if I, had time I would play them, but if I played them, I would get sucked in and never want to never want to actually be a human being. But um, I would I, I love the idea of a BattleBots game. Um, mm. I even contemplated like maybe I should just build it myself somehow. Like yeah. I'm not a I, I'm not a good coder, but uh, you know it'd be cool to to have that out there. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I have tinkered like with Robot Arena. I know um, I think I played the Roblox one before it got shut down. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I would love to see that. Uh, just nobody's done it quite right yet. Of course, like I heard Greg on the podcast uh, two weeks ago saying he said all the right things. Of course, that's exactly what it needs to be, you know, where you buy parts and sell parts and then all that stuff. So I would love to see that. And I would love to be a part of that. I'd love to help in any way, either with Icewave being on the in the game or working on the game, building some assets, building, doing some coding, whatever it is. But I realize I'm not, I'm probably not the best suited for that. <laughs> A good uh, thought-provoking question from Mitchell. If you were to design a non-spinning ice engine weapon, what design would it be? So, like, could you make an ice-powered uh, flipper? Could you make an ice-powered hammer? You know, like, uh, if, if you had to choose a design that didn't have a spinner, what, 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 what could it be, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I think it probably would have, like, a flywheel inside, sort of like a blip with a gas engine doing something. Um, I do love the idea of like warrior clan with the spinner and flipper, uh, you know, the spinner being used as the flywheel. Uh, something like that would be really cool. I love these unique designs. Uh, Aaron, I told him many times that he is me when I was like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, like I would have loved to build that kind of stuff. And, and uh, uh, if, you know, if I just had the time, he's got all the, the, um, the energy and time to do it right now. Whereas I don't. So yeah, I think uh, it could be something like that. Um, I, I love the idea of flippers. Obviously you, you mentioned Vault uh, a little while ago, but Vault was a, a CO2, full full pressure CO2 powered flipper that I built around 2008. Uh, nobody got to see it because it only fought two fights, got owned by Tombstone. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I love that kind of stuff. I like the control bots. I love, uh, I, spinners were never really my thing. I like the control bots more, honestly. Spinners and gas engines. I don't know how I got stuck with those. Uh, we've got uh, four questions from Crow. Oh my gosh, Crow Taliday. This is their username. I certainly hope it's not their their actual, uh, I guess, uh, government name. But uh, all right, Crow Taliday has four questions. If money was not an issue, so you had an, literally an unlimited budget, would it be feasible to make Ice Wave uh, that is a giant nut contender? And if money was no issue and you needed to win the giant nut with Ice Wave, how would you do so? I mean, does IceWave have to have a gas engine? Uh, the answer oh. is probably, I, I don't, um, I mean, you can call any robot IceWave, right? But it's not really IceWave unless it mm. has a gas engine. Um, it might be possible. I don't know. The the not being invertible, I think it'd be silly these days to build a robot that's not invertible. So maybe, probably not. Let's be, let's be real. Probably not. 
Oh, yeah. Sorry. When is the three-pound ice wave kit coming out? Is that coming? <laughs> I did actually start playing around with the idea of taking apart a bite force hex bug and building an ice wave out of it. That would be the oh. right chassis for it. Uh, and I have a three D printer sitting beside me right here. So maybe, maybe at some point I'll publish some. STL files, but it's not as easy as just like shrink everything by whatever percentage. Uh, so you got to find all, you got to source all the motors and stuff. It's hard, but yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be cool. Even even less than eight ounces of gas, just like maybe eight drops of gas or something. That'd be perfect. Um, there are some very cool little tiny engines like that. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Last two are, I guess, Louisiana um, uh, focused. When was the last time that you ate boiled crawfish and who dat? <laughs> all right. All right. Um, yeah, you, you know, all my friends in Louisiana and New Orleans are going to disown me. I'm not a big crawfish fan. I like shrimp. I like, uh, you know, anything fried, of course, is all good. Food in New Orleans is, of course, amazing. I just, crawfish is too much work. Like, you, you end up all stinky fingered and just, it's just a lot of work. I like meals to be easier. I have to build robots uh, in my spare time, not meat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and who that? I'm not a huge Saints fan. Again, these people are going to disown me. Hopefully nobody's <laughs> listening from, from my, my group of friends back at home. But, uh, yeah, I, again, going back to like the high school thing, it really annoyed me that people were like so into football and not battle bots. And, um, yeah, I just tried to, to forge my own path, you know, but yeah, of course I can get into it, uh, these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew Freetag wants to know, is there someone from the Comedy Central era that you wish would return to the sport so you could fight them again or have the chance to fight them for the first time because you didn't get the chance the first time around? Yeah, I don't know about fighting them. I would love to see some of the old, um, you know, guys that I sort of idolized when I was um, when I was a kid to see them come back. Uh, you know, Carlo and, uh, of course, Jim Santowski uh, did compete you know, for a while and left us to hang out with him. Just more than fight with these guys, I would rather just hang out with them, honestly. you know. But yeah, uh, yeah just all, all the original, um, let me think about that a while. Uh, you know, and, and people who are unfortunately aren't with us anymore, of course, I would love to see them come back. Buzz, uh, Adam Baxter, like I said, from uh, Logicom, those guys are great. Um, yeah, there's a lot that I miss from the old, the old era, and I would love to see it come back for sure. Yeah. Michael Clements has a related question. Is there anyone that Ice Wave never got to fight that you wish you had a chance to fight? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, basically anybody without a wedge on the front, like without a <laughs> stupid angled, you know, giant titanium plow. Anybody. Just give me anybody other than that. It's just straight sides, flat sides. It could be like a half inch thick. It's just flat. It's fine. Um, yeah, just... They always seem to parry up. I mean, that's the way everything's going these days. Everybody's got that. So it's obvious that people are going to do that. But yeah, it's really frustrating, especially when you see a robot that's like, normally we could probably be a pretty good contender against, and then they just flap a big wedge on the front. Uh, very frustrating. Steven Egert says, uh, not to rub salt in the womb, but what new robot are you most excited to see take your spot on the show? For me, it's Horizon. <laughs> yeah, Um yeah, the horizontal deep six. Yeah, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't. I think um, Rick Russ is building something. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Like, uh, he's posted about it, right? The, um, the uh, swamp uh, thing and jet lag. Jet, the jet. Yeah, the jet powered robot. I. I mean, I would love to see that work. I have. I have my skepticism, given I know how finicky gas engines alone are. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see some cool stuff like that. Um, yeah, and just. 
anything that bucks the the trend of the vertical spinner, I would love to see do well. I think Blip was awesome, uh, very very cool that you know that something can be a contender and and certainly um, you know renewed my faith in in sport when seeing something like that that somebody can actually do it. I just don't have the time or energy to to be Aaron Hill anymore. You know, I used to, but not anymore, man. It's hard. Yeah. Richard Sum um, has two questions and also has kind of a note at the top. Richard writes, honestly, I disagree with the selection committee in the sense that while less competitive than before, there is something about the spectacle, audibly at the very least, to the roar of Ice Wave's blade spinning at full speed and the carnage that you're just drooling to see. Here's my question. I know you guys had a different frame slash wedge configuration last year, but other than lengths and perhaps material, the blades were quite similar, which is becoming more rare as there are more specialized blades slash spinners nowadays to suit different opponents. Think, for instance, uppercut for verts and bloodsport for horizontals. Did you have other configurations and blades planned? I didn't have, well, I, okay, so I didn't ever bring anything other than what you saw. Um, but I do, have, I do, like I said before, I wanted to bring some shorter, stubbier blades that are thicker and more um, more suited for the vertical spinners and the, you know, the other thick blades. But yeah, I'm not, um, I would love to talk to the blood sport guys. I know they did a whole like breakdown of their blades and why they use mm. certain ones for all those things. I'd love to hear the results of that. I think when I read it last, it was before, and they were kind of flabbergasted how ice wave blade didn't break. And, and this speculation about, you know, like how it was manufactured, I thought was really cool. I talked to them about that at the last event. Uh, there was all this, you know, speculation about, oh, it's because it's machined and not water jet and the striations from the water jet or our stress risers and all these things. Uh, no, and it was, there was never really, uh, that, that actually was a thought originally, but eventually I just gave up because it's just too cost prohibitive to make a bunch of different things and try a bunch of different things. So, I mean, three blades for the last event that were all the same. And mm. uh, I was using some of the older ones that were cut down. Cause when they, when they get worn out, you can cut them down and then they, they become sharp again. They're just two inches shorter. <laughs> so that was, that was the, uh, that was the reason why we had shorter blades. Richard has a second question with a little bit of uh, his own speculation. Second question, but with Bloodsport's success and new design with a top piece that's reminiscent of your engine lid, do you feel that this would have seemed too similar in the selection committee's eyes to have you two in the competition together? Yeah, I was definitely surprised to see that. It's really cool of them to, to decide to go that route. I mean, it's bold yeah. to say that it's after seeing Icewave's performance and, and you know, the, um, I guess they can still self-write. They probably figured that out, I'm sure. Uh, and just having a brushless motor in there is much smaller and sleeker. Certainly, like a better, it's certainly a better version of Ice Wave. There's no question about that. Like, mm. if I'm going to build, I would just build that, right? Like, right. Th there's no point in building something else because I'm just going to build that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, put a gas engine, put, a, put an electric motor on an Ice Wave instead of the gas engine. No, it's just blood sport. Like, they've done it already. So, yeah. Um, but I think yes and no. Uh, no, because. There's other robots that are like almost clones of each other already and they're fine. You know, there's a, uh, let's say like Shredderator and Gigabyte are basically the same robot. Sure. Right. And they keep inviting those guys back. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know. I think, uh, there was something else going on. It was probably just, probably just the bad showing that we had last year, but no robot's going to get better by sitting out. It's, uh, it's only going to get better by doing upgrades and you can't do upgrades if you can't test. Ice Wave is a really hard robot to test. And so we use every second that we can of the arena time to to sort of figure all those things out. And without that, it's going to be hard. 
We have uh, just three questions left uh, before we close this out. Eleanor uh, from Cottage Core Robotics. I'm going to assume that Eleanor lives in Louisiana. She writes, do you have any particularly fond memories of your time in the Louisiana robot combat scene? Do you have any advice for someone trying to revive the state's scene? Well, uh, there wasn't really a scene there. Uh, Maybe there is now, uh, given that we've gotten a couple questions from people there. Hmm. Uh, I tried to, so, so, um, well, there's a friend of mine, John, John Cruz. Hi, John, if you're listening <laughs> in, uh, in Louisiana still, um, and he's not building anymore, but he was my sort of inspiration. Um, and my lunch buddy around the time, uh, you know, we would sort of bounce ideas off of each other and we were both sort of the founding kind of founding group of SCCR back in the day. And, uh, and then we did, yeah, we did an event in 2005, right before Katrina, and um, that was like a big event. We had like 120 robots, heavyweights, uh, Megabyte came, uh, Trey came, <laughs> Trey videoed the whole event uh, with a crew. It was a big, it was a pretty big deal for the time. And, um, you know, it was, but nobody really was in Louisiana. There were some people, there was a couple guys, you know, Mississippi, Florida, that kind of thing, but in Alabama, but um, nobody really that I knew of in Louisiana other than my friend, John. And uh yeah, I would love to see that. Uh, yeah, but having um, when we did the event there, Katrina sort of wiped out everything for a year or two, mm. and that was like when I said I gotta I gotta get out of here because my my school got shut down and all that stuff. So I gotta just leave. There's nothing nothing here for me at the moment um, in terms of engineering stuff. So that's when I got out. But um, yeah, I would love to revive it. I mean, every state should have certainly something in the schools that would sort of um, you know provide that outlet for kids that aren't necessarily into football or, you know, whatever it is um, that, that my school had every, every school should have at least some, some way for kids to explore that. So yeah. yes, I would love to help with that. If you are interested, um, you know, ping me and, and I can see if I can drum up some resources. I don't have, you know, that many resources there. It's, uh, you know, I've been gone for a long time, but I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really love this question. Um, because um, the answer is, you know, you have to start with the box and the builders will come and they will get better and you will build a kind of just nexus of energy like around the box. Um, Like when when you think about, I I don't know, I I think to Starbot and Nola Garcia and I think of all of the amazing builders who came out of Starbot and I think to myself like- Myself included. Right, yeah. Like what what, what would have happened if Nola never started Starbot or Nola never got involved in combat robotics? You know, would Victor still be building robots? Would you have a robot startup? You know, would um, Mike and Andrea and Will Bales, um, you know, like would they be competing somewhere else? Would they be doing something else entirely? You know, it's just really, really, it's an interesting question. And it starts with just somebody doing it. And the ripples of that really come out many, many years later and just impact so many people. Um, So Eleanor, I would say build a box and start an event and, um, you know, just, incredible things can, can come from that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that question. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I probably would have still been doing, you know, the Southeastern group of builders and, and whatever backyard events we were doing, but I wouldn't have moved to Miami if it weren't for the, you know, like you said, nexus of people 
that were there. I lived in Miami for six years, met a bunch of people. I was working for Will, Dale, Will Bales' dad for a couple of years there. I mean, there's all kinds of connections that, that never would have come about if it weren't for, you know, BattleBots, NOLA, all of those people, all that whole group of people. It's been yeah. really, really amazing. And I, I, I wish that everybody had that experience, you know, and, and I hope that it can, it can be like that for most people. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot um, just because, you know, we are so involved with Norwalk and I'm so eager to see what happens when you run a super amazing event seven times a year in a place. And we have so many incredible high schoolers and college students who are showing up to every single event, um, the Johnny Sumpasses of the world. And, you know, like, I think something magical is happening at Norwalk. I think it's kind of Starbot-esque in that way. And yeah. just can't wait to see the community that comes 5, 10, 15, 20 years um, down the line um, because of it. So, yeah, I, I think about this question Kudos to you for carrying the torch there and, and, and doing doing the work of, you know, what we, what we were doing back in the day and yeah. its own, you know, reincarnation. And that's really awesome. I would love to make it out there and see, I mean, obviously I've watched the, the Twitch streams and things and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I would love to, to make it out there just to hang out and, uh, and see what it's all about. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. We're going to close out uh, this interview with two very good questions from Copperhead team member, Chad new, who coincidentally uh, won the 30 pounds. Weight class uh, last month at Norwalk, and also Great. this past weekend set a new state Colorado state record for giant pumpkins. So congratulations, yes. uh, Chad! There. <laughs> um, all right, so he, yeah, it's amazing. Um, he asks: During your twenty plus years in the robot world, what are some of your standout moments? Bot building, hosting your own event, running other events, starting a robotics company, Dragon Con. You know, when you look back on twenty <laughs> years of of your time in the sport, standout moments. Yeah, I mean, certainly hosting my own event uh, was completely crazy uh, with that many robots, you know, and that many people that I idolized at the time coming from all over, all across the country. And I don't remember if we had any international teams at the time, but, you know, just, just having people come from California was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, Megabyte guys or, or Matt Noxum, Matt and Wendy were there, uh, people from Florida, Brian, all those guys were there coming to the event. And to see that I had sparked enough interest in, in, uh, you know, in them to come to an event that I was hosting was really, really incredible. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, obviously I, I hit on the, uh, the community of people and stuff like that. And I have all, all of my friends, you know, are, are BattleBots people at this point, <laughs> you know, it says you can't, you can't, um, escape it. I, I will say I probably uh, along the lines of like, what wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have met my wife. Mm. My wife was a, uh, mutual friend of, uh, one of the, teams that I was mentoring at, uh, Starbot. So, you know, it all comes full circle. I wouldn't have started my company because I met my co-founder. Uh, he was working for BattleBots. I wouldn't have met my wife. Um, you know, just a ton of things like that. So yeah, those are, those are all standout moments for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Met your co-founder, met your wife, you know, you probably wouldn't have met Chad and I'm sure that, uh, he's brought a lot of joy to your life. So that's, uh, there you go. (laughs) He has Chad and I go way back. I don't even, gosh, Wazio, come on. Yeah. Uh, what was it? 2002, probably something like that. I mean, when, when we both got started, <laughs> yeah, and he probably came to some of these, you know, the North Carolina event that got rained out and yeah, all those robo games and all that stuff. It's always yeah. been fun. Chad's final question is uh, thought provoking. Uh, seems like an uh, inside question. He says, has your wife allowed you to install sweet Star Trek doors in your house? 
<laughs> well, see, I live in California where you can only afford to rent things. Um, <laughs> if you're a poor BattleBots builder like me, because I spend all my money on BattleBots instead of a house. So the answer is, uh, she probably would let me if we owned a house, but we don't own a house, so it's not her, it's the landlord. I actually yeah. built, I have one out here, it's just not installed in the house. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. I feel like uh, Star Trek doors <laughs> would be good for the for the telepresence robot, you know? That mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, I've been trying to convince my co-founder of that. Uh, he's kind of like on the fence about it, you know? Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of effort that goes into installing a new door in your office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is which is fair. But yeah, doors that could open themselves, there's a tangential uh, relation there. Yeah. Sure. To start start a new division of double robotics, you know. But nobody has any idea what we're talking about. Go look up Star Trek Door on YouTube. It's uh, <laughs> the silliest video I made like twenty years ago. But yeah, yeah. that's fun. That's that was that was one of those crazy things I built in my mom's house, and she's just rolling her eyes. Still to this day, the Star Trek Door is installed in my mom's house, and she's like, "Can you please take it out?" And I'm like, "No, it's it's epic. It's got to stay." And I uh, haven't annoyed, seen this video, and now I really want to watch it. That's yeah, pretty. Go cool. look at it. Start. Airpowered Star Trek door is what it's called on YouTube. It's got two million views. Wait, and it's still it's my working? claim to fame. Like, it's yeah, it still running? works. It's in New Orleans. Yeah, what? it runs on air. It goes, it goes. Psh, psh. It sounds like Star Trek and everything. Wow. So you come up and there's some kind of motion sensor, and these doors just go shooting open. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it looks like a normal door. It's just like a residential house door, you know. But it's, wow. it just opens like a. It completely catches people off guard. It's great. Okay. Air air powered. Is, wait, what's the name of the? The video air powered Star Trek door. Amazing. All and right. I see a 17 year old version of me standing there. That's you incredible. Recognize me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chad writes. Uh, also, I was looking forward to seeing you in Vegas, but I wish you were on the show. I was hoping our children could hang out and become the first generational robot super couple. So I guess, uh, I don't know. There's uh, he's, he's, he's already thinking ahead. So there you go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down for the superpower <laughs> super group um, thing. I don't know. My wife is kind of like, She's not ready for my daughter to be hanging out with boys yet. So I, and yeah, I get that. But um, no, of course, uh, I, I hope to be there around the same time that, that Maxwell is there and uh, get to hang out and they can go, you know, run around and just, I mean, my daughter's super into robots. I'm guessing his son is too. And uh, I hope that the show stays around and that I get to still be a part of it by the time that she is the age that I got into it, because that would be all I could ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Mark. Uh, we can't wait to see Ice Wave in the Battle Box again soon. Thanks so much for sharing all of your stories um, and really want to wish you the best of luck on all of your future endeavors and looking forward to uh, meeting you in person either at Vegas uh, later this month or perhaps Norwalk later this year. Hey, yeah, that would be awesome. And thank you for sticking with me through all my crazy stories. Uh, it's been fun. <laughs> After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to the baffling world of modern art, where an artist named David Bowen has given a houseplant the ability to wield its own machete. David often uses robotic components in his art. For this installation, he hooked up sensors to a wall-mounted philodendron and used the plant's electrical resistance signals to move an industrial robot arm outfitted with a machete. David writes, quote, The plant is the brain of the robot controlling the machete, determining how it swings, jabs, slices, and interacts in space. Um, okay. 
the plant might know that it's like interacting with something electrically or electrochemically, but how does uh-huh. it know what the machete's doing? Last I checked, philodendrons do not have eyes. Interesting. Interesting. Kyle, I, I feel like, uh, you know, plants, they have kind of a collective memory, you know, a collective trauma, you know, related to anything that's sharp cutting into them, you know? <laughs> Probably yeah. looks down and is like, oh, yes, oh, it's one of these ancient human tools. All right, they've, they've slain many philodendrons, you know, M- many of my people. Now it's time for retribution, you know. We're, uh, yeah. get, we're, 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 we're getting revenge. Somebody, somebody gave me a machete, you know. Um, yeah, I know that makes perfect sense. Listen, there's been all kinds of research into, like, plants talking to other plants. Like, if one plant starts to get eaten... Um, it will communicate like through the root network to other plants that it's being eaten and everybody will change their flavor profile. So they're not tasty anymore. Um, mm. th- there's been other like situations where um, they can play the sound of a plant getting eaten and all of the plants will then change their like flavor profile. So they're not tasty anymore in the area of that sound. Um which is weird. So plants are a little bit more, shall we say, aware than we currently give them credit for. Um, mm. But, you know, I I just don't understand the, like, I don't think the plant knows it's swinging a machete. Maybe that's my mm. own uh, biases against plants. I always do you as an anti-planter, okay? All right. I eat them all the time. I eat plants literally every day. So, yes, I am anti-planter. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I would say, like, I am not a very sophisticated person. Uh, I am often baffled when I go to modern art museums. Sure. And I have to say that when I saw this, this, this houseplant wielding a machete... I felt so much joy and delight, Kyle. Like, I'm like, this sparks something inside of me. Like, uh, this is art, okay? Let's give way more weapons to plants. Like, I love this idea, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like uh, my my immediate skeptic was like, oh, is there some kind of algorithm inside of this uh, this robotic arms, you know, control board that is swinging this, you know, and is this some kind of representation? But... Apparently, it's all legit science, which is pretty cool, um, which means that uh, we could outfit many thousands of plants, perhaps, with their own weapons and uh, send them out to go and do whatever they do, which uh, I think is a great idea. So, yeah, let's do it. More more weapons on plants, Kyle. I love this idea. Uh, I love this idea a lot. Have you ever played Plants vs. Zombies? Of course, Kyle. Oh, I'm, I'm excellent at that. I mean, from that game, we learned that plants can be uh, very violent and malicious and take down hordes of zombies. So uh, maybe <laughs> that's maybe that's what this guy's really working on is, you know, giving the plants the uh, the literal tools they need to do that. Good, good. I support this. <laughs> let's let's see a whole whole like gallery, you know, of, of plants with weapons. I, I love it. <laughs> Well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Lindsay for editing this week's episode, and we'll be back in your feed next week with uh, a very special guest. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.